Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We're here <coughs> starting Surah Al-Anfal. Musitaki Sam has summarized Surah Al-Anfal as follows. This surah has been revealed after incident of Badr because it's going to detail, especially in the beginning, the issue about Anfal, by the way. Anfal is plural of Nafil. Nafil, as you know, means something that is extra, something that is supererogatory. There's different ways in the Arabic language that we have plurals. One plural of nafil is nawafil. That is referring to ibadat that are extra and supererogatory. Another plural of nafil is anfal. Anfal refers to literally the spoils of war, the gains of war, or booty. Why is it being referred to as extra? It's being referred to as this is not the primary purpose or the maqsad or the reason why a person fights for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person fights for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa A person fights for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to attain his pleasure, for the sake of defending and enacting his deen. And for the sake of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this whole concept of spoils of war is something that is extra. In a hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu in a hadith in Muslim, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam mentioned that there are six things that Nabi Akhnim sallallahu was favored with over all of the un- other Anbiya, six things that he was been given exclusively, which no other Nabi was given to him earlier, one of those things is this, the spoils of war. So previously the Anbiya, when they also had to fight unjust aggression to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu ta'ala for the sake of the deen of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, they were not allowed to keep the spoils of war. However, Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that amongst one of the six exclusive things is that he will be allowed to keep the spoils of war. What used to happen in previous communities, now we don't know if this happened in every previous community, but a hadith in Bukhari mentions that at least one previous community, it mentions a Nabi, unnamed Nabi. It just says in their the community when they engaged in fighting unjust aggression and they acquired some wealth, booty, spoils of war, then their Nabi gathered all of that and a fire would descend from the sky and would consume and incinerate all of them. It means it was not something that was lawful for them, but it's something that is lawful for Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. So the first thing that's going to happen, So they're going to ask you, my beloved Messenger Wasallam, regarding concerning Anfal, the spoils of war. And what it means here is the division and the status and division of the spoils of war. Who is asking, this is one of those cases, yes, Aluna is not referring to Mushrikeen or Kufar or Ahli Kitab. Yes, Aluna is referring to Sahaba Karam. That the Muhajirin Ansar asked the Prophet ﷺ concerning the spoils of war and this incident took place after the Battle of Badr. Alright. So one of the main features in this surah overall is to talk about the Battle of Badr, also to mention the rules about Anfal, about the spoils of war, but generally to talk about other aspects uh, about the battle of Badr. And also, given that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed victory in Badr, after attaining that victory, how should the Muslims now progress and develop themselves as a community? Alright. I'll mention a little bit about the battle of Badr in a moment. That say to them, my beloved Messenger, وسلم, that the spoils of war and all the gains and proceeds that are received belong exclusively to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger. So therefore, you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Number two, And you should reconcile and harmonize and amend and keep proper and straight the relations between yourselves, between one another. And number three, And you should obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obey Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu mu'minin If indeed, verily, you are believers. So in this surah, in this, in this ayah, then three things have been mentioned. Three major things to do. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends any bounty and blessing and favor and help and madad and nusrat and victory on a person, number one, to adopt taqwa. To fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he deserves to be feared. Number two, to maintain good relations between one another. And this is a very difficult thing. The taqwa basically you can think as the way to maintain a good relationship between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But second important is also to maintain and to reconcile and to keep strong and firm relations between fellow Muslims. And this is a thing in terms of our interpersonal relations that many Muslims have a lot of difficulty doing this. And the third thing Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedience to Sayyidina Rasulullah This can be understood separately and this can also be understood as the way to maintain good relations between one another is to unite on the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to unite on the obedience to the Prophet to make that the primary focus of our relationship. Then Allah Ta'ala in the next ayah is going to mention certain characteristics of the believers. Innamal mu'minun. Indeed, only and only those are worthy of being considered believers in right. Alladhina idha dhukirallahu wajilat kulubahum. That they are those people that when Allah SWT is mentioned, when the zikr of Allah SWT occurs, wajilat kulubahum, that their spiritual hearts tremble. Again, this is mentioning the relationship. Again, this is mentioning the relationship between zikr and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this relationship between zikr and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh, sorry, this relationship between zikr and the qalb. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's zikr takes place, it has an effect on their spiritual hearts. That is because every single thing that a human being experiences is going to be experienced by a particular part of that human being. If a human being experiences a thought, that will be experienced by their akal. If a human being experiences a taste that will be experienced by his tongue, so what is that part of the human? What is that part of the human being that experiences the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa taala? That is called their kalm, their spiritual heart. That is called their kalm, their spiritual heart. And what is the experience that occurs on them when they remember Allah subhanahu wa taala? وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبَهُمْ That their spiritual hearts tremble, they quiver, they shiver, they flutter. That's what wajilat means. So sometimes when a person does the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their spiritual heart quivers in such a way, then it may be something that their physical heart also feels. Qalb is part of the ruh. So the example we give of this normally is like a bird in a cage. When the bird flaps its wings and flutters around in the cage, then the cage rattles. So the qalb is the heart of the ruh, and you also have a physical heart. So when the zikr of Allah SWT takes place, and a person's heart is softened to that effect, then their qalb, wajilat, it shivers, it quivers, it trembles, it flutters, then sometimes a person also feels a physical sensation in the physical area where their heart is. This has been called taharruk, or they feel a slight movement or vibration. They feel a vibration. Second aspect of them, وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ And when his verses are recited to them, 
means when the Qur'an al-Kareem is recited to them, Zadat hum imana, that they increase in their iman. The, 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 the hearing and listening to the verses of revelation causes their iman to increase. This is very important. That means that Qur'an al-Kareem, the more you read it, the more you recite it, the more you listen to it, if we were mu'mineen, it would actually increase our iman. And by increase here, this means increase the quality, increase the strength, increase the intensity of our iman. Otherwise, iman is not something that is quantifiable, right? Iman, you cannot say, I have 20 units of iman, now I have 40 units of iman. It means increase in intensity and degree, that their iman is strengthened. Next characteristic, وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ And on their Rabb, who are the Mu'mineen? They are those people who يَتَوَكَّلُونَ who rely and depend and trust only and only on their Rabb. Those of you again who study Arabic grammar, Allah رَبِّهِمْ This is مُقَدَّم And this is مُتَعَلَّقْ مُقَدَّم And the يُفِيدُ الْحَسَرْ That gives the advantage of exclusivity. In other words, it should have, could have been يَتَوَكَّلُونَ عَلَى رَبِّهِمْ but when you put Allah Rabbihim first, then it means and only and only on their Rabb do they have tawakkul, do they trust, rely and depend. You did this in Surah Al-Imran verse 159, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said already, Inna that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people who do tawakkul. In Surah 65 verse 3, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Then whomsoever places their trust and dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be sufficient and will suffice for them. Fourth characteristic, And there are those people who regularly and firmly establish their salah. And number five, And from whatever bounty and provision and sustenance and wealth Allah Ta'ala has given them, has provided them, yunfikun they spend from it. This includes both wajib, i.e. zakat, both mandatory spending such as zakat and usher, etc. And it also includes voluntary spending such as sadaqah, etc. That indeed those people who have these five characteristics so what was that? That their hearts quiver when the zikr of Allah takes place? That when the ayat, verses of Quran are recited, their iman becomes stronger? That they trust and depend only and only on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That they are firmly established on their salah? And they spend from that which their Rabb has given them? That indeed these are the people who are in reality, in veracity, are truly believers. What will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them? Lahum. Then for them will be darajatun in the rabbihim, that they will be bestowed upon ranks with their rabb. Wa and they will be given forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. kareem, and they will be given generous and open sustenance and provision from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of the Mufassirin have mentioned that these three rewards are mapped to three previous things. The first is the affairs of the qalb, what a mu'min should feel in their heart. So that was that their heart should flutter when Allah Ta'ala's remembrance takes place, that they should increase in heart should increase in strength of iman when the verses of revelation are recited, and that their heart should have a feeling of tawakkul. For these three things which are affairs of the heart, the reward for that is darajatun in darabbihim, that they will get darajat, they will get ranks and levels of blessing in in the in the presence and in the realm and in the eyes of their Rabb. The second thing then is affair of the body, yukimun as-salah, and bodily worship they offer for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In exchange for that, they will get maghfra, they will get forgiveness. And the third thing was that their 
wealth, their monetary worship, they will spend it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the reward for that spending for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rizqun kareem, that a person will get generous and abundant risk. So this is just one of many places in Quran where Allah ta'ala makes it clear that if we spend and give charity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will actually not go down even in the quantity of our charity, but actually we will invite rizqun kareem, abundant, generous risk from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Now after mentioning these qualities of mu'mineen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from ayahs 5 onwards is going to talk specifically about the battle of Badr. So what is the history of the battle of Badr? The history of the battle of Badr was that this took place first Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam in 13 years in Makkah Makarma was severely oppressed and severely persecuted by the disbelievers of Makkah Makarma and then he decided to make a hijra to Medina Manawra. Now when he made this hijra to Medina Manawra When he made Hijr to Medina Manawra, there was another incident that took place that made the Prophet ﷺ and Sahaba make a particular plan and strategy. So what was that when the Sahaba Ikram migrated to Medina Manawra, now the Mushrikeen of Makkah could not perse- persecute them because they weren't around anymore. All Muslims had left. But the Mushrikeen of Makkah found new ways to oppress and persecute the believers. And what did they do? Number one, they wrote to the disbelievers of Medina Manawra. And this is how Abdullah bin Ubay, who is going to become head of the Munafiqeen, he's first contacted, first contacted by Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl. And what are they told? They are told, number one, that the people of Makkah Mukarramah said, the Quraysh of Makkah, particularly the Quraysh of Makkah said, that since you've chosen to shelter our enemy, that we wage war on you. Right? You are harboring our enemy. So unless you, is it, we are going to fight you unless you expel him and his community. So they sent a message to the people of Medina Manor. So now what does it mean that now the people of Medina who had not yet accepted Islam, because not everybody in Medina had accepted Islam yet, they now felt this threat. And you have to remember that at that time in the Arabian Peninsula, Makkah and the Quraysh of Makkah were, so to speak, the superpower of the Arabian Peninsula. So this happens, right? The superpower tells the community that if you don't expel the person that I want, I will wage war on you. This is exactly what happened. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. So the kuffar of the Quraysh of Makkah Mukarramah, they said that to the people of Medina Manawrat. Then they said that we will swear that we will fight you and we will send our army against you and we will kill you as well. Even though the army will technically be coming against the Prophet ﷺ, we will wage war against you and we will kill you and we will enslave your females. So this hadith, these words, that we will kill your males and enslave your females, this has been specifically mentioned by Nabi Yaqtim Sassam in the hadith that is collected in the Sunan of Abu Dawud. So now when they receive this message, right? They receive this message, so this is a message of declaration of war by the Quraysh of Makkah and all of the people of Medina Manawrah. So there was one Sahaba, there were these two tribes of Medina Manawrah, Aus and Khazraj. The chief of Aus, that was Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. So he went to Makkah Makarama to perform Umrah as a Muslim, according to the Islamic rites of Umrah. Abu Jahl threatened him, right, and said, oh, you come from Medina, and you're from a community against whom we have declared war and we wish to wage hostility against, and you're accommodating Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Now what happened was that Saad was taken under the protection, this was a tribal feature, that certain tribal elders, they would say that this person under my protection, you can't touch him. So Umayyah 
took Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh under his protection. Therefore, they couldn't do anything to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. However, Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh said that, look, if you're going, this hadith says in Bukhari, that if you prevent us from coming to Medina, or you come, prevent us from coming to Makkah Makarimah to do Umrah, we have come here in peace, we just want to make Umrah, we want to go back, we have no quarrel with you, we have not come here seeking military engagement, we have not come here seeking revenge for the things you have done. But they said, no, that fine, we cannot touch you because you're under the protection of Umayyah, but send the message back when you go to Medina, that anybody who comes from Medina to do Umrah, we are going to militarily attack them. So then Sayyidina Saad ibn Umar said that, okay, then in retaliation for that, what happened was the Quraysh used to have lots of trade caravans that they used to send from Makkah Makarma to Damascus, to Syria. And those necessarily passed through Medina. So so if you are going to prevent us from coming to Umrah, then in retaliation for that, we are going to prevent your caravans from going to Syria. Right? We are going to prevent your caravans from going to Syria. They will not remain safe. So again, this was not something. The Muslims did not, Medina, Nabi did not initially intend to do this. There was no initial intent to disrupt the trade caravans of the Kufar of Mecca. It was done in response to their unjust aggression in which they said that the Muslims of Medina Manara would not be allowed to come and do Umrah in Makkah Makarim. And anyone who comes from Umrah, even they come in a state of ihram, even they come unarmed, even they come in peace, we will militarily, violently fight any such person who comes to do Umrah. Alright. Now what happened was, uh, the second thing is that there were some Muslim populations that settlements around Medina Manara who had also accepted Islam. So what the Mushrikeen and Kufar of Makkah did is they sent small expeditions and raids. Now they didn't send an army initially into Medina Manawar against the Prophet and the major contingent of Sahaba, but they would raid, send raiding parties and expeditions, and they were attacking and troubling the outskirts and the settlements that were outside of Medina Manawar. So then what happened is Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba decided that they had to do something in response to these two things. Preventing declaration of war, preventing us from going for Umrah, and now attacking outposts and settlements of Muslims outside of Medina Manara. So what happened was the Muslims got news that Abu Sufyan, who was another major leader of the unbelievers at that time, that he was going to he was going to send a large caravan full of goods for trade to Damascus. And a lot of the leaders of the Quraysh had invested their money in that caravan. So they said, but that's it. This is where we're going to attack. We're going to prevent this caravan. We're going to stop this caravan, so the way English term we used for this is we're going to waylay that caravan and prevent it from going to Damascus. Alright. And another reason for this that the commentators mentioned was that they were worried that by means of this trade, this was how the leaders of Quraysh were strengthening themselves and arming themselves. And they were actually planning to finance a war against the Muslims in Medina based on the money and profits they would get from this trade caravan. So now Nabi Karim Sassam set forth with 313 Sahaba. This is how the incident of Badr takes place. So the niyat wasn't actually to go and fight a battle. The niyat was to go and waylay this caravan. So when they went out with 13, 313 Sahaba, and that number is mentioned specifically in a hadith in Bukhari, 70 camels and 2 horses and 60 coats of armor. Alright. At that point then somehow Abu Sufyan also managed to find out because there are all types of Bedouins who were neither here nor there maybe selling information for money. Allah Allah. So then he sent a message back to Makkah Makarama to all the leaders of Christ that all of your money is also tied up in this caravan. This is the news that we've heard. So they said, okay, you 
cancel your plan, don't go to Damascus, you come back. And now we're not going to wait, we're going to send an army against the Prophet ﷺ and Sahaba. So 1,000 unbelievers, they march, and it's famous that they march with also a whole host of women who were singing war songs to them, and etc., etc. And they mar- they mounted this expedition against the Nabi Akrim ﷺ and the Sahaba Akram. All right. Now what happened was that, uh, that Sayyidina also, through different scouts, got this information, that the caravan has now started to divert itself, right? And secondly, a military force has already set, mar- set march, has received its marching orders, and is set forth for Medina Manora. Now Nabi Akrim Sassam made dua to Allah Subhanahu wa And one dua that he made to one response Allah Subhanahu wa told him, was told him that you will be victorious, whichever one you encounter. So you should continue. You should give chase to that caravan, whether you catch up with that caravan or whether their army then engages you, whichever of the two groups you encounter, you will be victorious. However, some Sahaba Kram they felt it was their it felt in terms of an issue of military strategy that this is not a wise decision. We didn't come, we didn't leave our homes prepared for war. We left our homes with this level of preparation that we can waylay a caravan from its trade route. So if we want to go and march and meet this army that is coming from Makkah Makarma, we should regroup, maybe return to Medina Manara, re-strategize, refocus, and march forth again. We shouldn't set forth now, we should go back. Right? Now, so this Sahaba Ikram who felt this way when the Biyakrim Sassan announced the decision that no, instead we're going to go Continue as we are with whatever arms we have. And if we catch the caravan, we catch the caravan. If we don't, we meet the army. Those Sahaba in their hearts, they thought this was the wrong. They disliked this decision. Now it should be important here that this is one of the earliest phases in which Nabi Karim Sallallahu and maybe the first, maybe even indeed the first instance in which he is now their military leader. And many of these Sahaba Ikram had a lot of experience, right, from their previous days in battles and in war. So it doesn't mean that they're requesting the authority of the Prophet ﷺ. It doesn't mean they're requesting Allah SWT. It just meant that in their heart they felt that this wasn't the right strategy and they disliked it, but they marched anyway because they obey Allah SWT. They obey Nabi Akrim SAW. They're not munafiqeen. A munafiq would have gone back at this point. As we earlier taught you the story of Uhud. So they continued. So they obeyed Allah SWT. They obeyed Tina Rasulullah but in their heart, they harbored a slight dislike, and Allah SWT is commenting on that as well. And the point being is that Allah SWT is training the believers that even in their heart, they shouldn't have a slight karahat. And this, this is a general lesson for us, and this is what our mashaykh of the Sawf used to explain, that the makruhat sharia should be the makruhat tabiyah. In other words, that your own personality and temper should only dislike that which Allah Ta'ala disliked. And on the flip side, anything that Allah SWT likes and wishes, let alone commands and ordains, we should not feel any dislike for that at all. And a lot of us have that problem, that we don't do certain things because we kind of don't, we kind of dislike it. We don't follow certain sunnahs because our personality, our temperament, our character, our heart dislikes it. Okay, now let's turn to this passage. Okay, Kamal literally means that just as. Okay, just as. So what happens here? Just the way the Sahaba, actually what was mentioned earlier, just the way the Sahaba differed with themselves concerning booty. So I forgot to mention that they asked the Biyas Odunaka, 
They asked the Prophet ﷺ because the Muhajirin and Ansar after receiving the booty in Badr and because Allah Ta'ala had not yet revealed what exactly are the laws regulating this and neither did the Prophet ﷺ mention any laws regulating the spoils of war. So the Muhajirin and Ansar were offering different views and ideas as to what exactly should be the rules that govern the division of the spoils of war. And they had, had differing views. So Kamal means and just like some Sahaba had differing views with one another and this is not any antagonism or hostility, but they offered different ideas as to what to do concerning the spoils of war. Just like that, they had differing views about in their hearts whether it was the right decision to go forward anyway and engage and meet that army that was coming from Badr or whether it would have been better to regroup and re-strategize. So that, all of that was the translation of Kama. <laughs> right? أَخْرَجَكَ الرَّبُّكَ That your Rabb took you, means Nabi Akrim Sassam, out min baytika from your home, bilhaq, an absolute right. You are on the right, you are on the just, an absolute veracity. وَإِنَّ فَرِيكَمْ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ But indeed there was a group from the believers, لَكَارِهُونَ That they disliked this decision. That they disliked that they should continue onward after they had been informed that the caravan had been diverted, and that instead, an enemy that was coming from them. In other words, they felt simply, they were looking at the asbab, and they felt that they were not properly equipped enough in terms of their armaments, and they didn't have enough numbers to engage in a full-fledged military expedition. يُجَادِلُونَ فِي الْحَقِّ بَعْدَمَا تَبَيِّنَ كَأَنَّمَا يُسَاقُونَ إِلَى الْمَوْتِ وَهُمْ يَنْذُرُونَ Now here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reprimanding them. And saying that yujadilunaka, they dispute with you, they differ with you, filhaqi, regarding the truth, after it has been clearly revealed and clearly manifested and clarified, as if, and this is how they felt, they felt as if they were being yusaquna illal mot, that they're being driven and led to their death, wahum yandrun in front of their very eyes. That's how they felt, that it's just finished, we're just going to be slaughtered. They did it out of obedience to Allah SWT and the Prophet ﷺ, but they felt that because we're so vastly outnumbered and so vastly outarmed that this is how they felt in their hearts. وَإِذِ يَعِدُكُمُ اللَّهُ Now Allah Ta'ala is reminding the Prophet ﷺ and Sahaba, and remember when Allah SWT promised all of you. You see, يَعِدُكَ is not there. It's not, although the truth the promise was made to the Prophet ﷺ, but يَعِدُكُمْ So Allah Ta'ala is addressing Sahaba Ikram that remember when Allah Ta'ala promised all of you that one of the two groups, whichever one you encounter, either the caravan or the army, Allah promised them to you. It means promise that you will be successful, you will be triumphant, you will be victorious. That they will be for you. Whichever one of the two it is, one of those two is for you. It will be yours. It means you will succeed. And what did you want? Allah is addressing something that you wanted in your heart, your desire was, that you wanted the one that wasn't armed, that didn't have strength. Right? In other words, their Sahaba's hope was that which one of the two is it that promised to us the caravan and not the army. Because they felt again that they were more capable of defeating the caravan. So you want, uh, you wanted that the one that didn't have power, that wasn't armed, should be for you. However, Allah SWT wanted something else. But Allah SWT wants أَنْ يُحِكَّ الْحَقَّ That He wanted to establish the truth as truth. He wanted to verify the truth as truth بِكَلِمَاتِهِ By means of His words. وَيَقْتَأَ دَابِرَ الْكَافِرِينَ And Allah SWT wanted to cut off the roots of the unbelievers. Allah SWT wanted to give you a greater victory, which is a victory over the army. So that's what Allah SWT wanted.
why did Allah Ta'ala want, again, the yuhikkal haqqa, so that Allah Ta'ala may establish what is true as true. وَيُبْدِلَ الْبَاطِلَ He may falsify the false, establish and declare and reveal to be false and corrupt, that which is false. وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْمُجْرِمُونَ Even if those who are guilty of harboring this feeling in their heart, even if they may take offense at that or they may dislike it slightly. إِذْ Okay, now this one is going to change here. إِذْ تَسْتَغِيثُونَ رَبَّكُمْ That oh, when you, when you sought help, when you sought help from your Rabb, فَاسْتَجَابَلَكُمْ And your Rabb answered to you. Now there's a hadith in Muslim and a hadith in Abu Dawud that mentions that Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When then it was now discovered, when, when they marched forth and they would, who did they end up encountering? The army, right? So when they encountered an army, the Prophet saw them with all of their armaments and their camels and their horses and their numbers. Nabi Akrim Sassam made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said that, O oh Allah, fulfill that promise that you made to me. That you, whichever one of the two we encounter will be victorious. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed, if this group with me, i.e. this group of Sahabah is destroyed, then there will be no one left to worship you on earth. Because this is it. This is the budding, nascent Muslim community. And the Bikram made so much du'a, so much du'a, so much du'a, that the day says that his shawl fell off. And then Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he came and he put his shawl back on him, and he put his hands down, and he told him that it's a lot of du'a. Both of you. You made a lot of du'a, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will answer your du'as. Alright? And this is one of the many, many features of Sayyidina Siddiq Akbar, that he was a source of support. He was what you would call in English the right-hand man. Hmm? The right-hand man of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. Literally also, by the way, the Hadith came in Badr, that's coming when the 1,000 angels, the first 1,000 angels come, they came on the right side, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq was on the right side of the Prophet Then another thousand angels came came on the left side and Sayyidina Ali was on the left side of the Prophet So so your Rabb responded to you Anni mumaddikum Anni mumiddukum bi'alfim minal malaika That indeed I'm going to be that one who helps you with one thousand angels Now you would remember in Surah Al-Imran the number mentioned was five thousand angels so the Mufassirin have mentioned that it's mentioned in Hadith, Sayyidina Qatada, who's a Tabin, he has narrated that the Sahaba explained that first 1,000 angels came down, then another 1,000 came down, then another 1,000 came down until it reached the total number of 5,000. So the first help which is going to come is 1,000 angels, and how will they come? Murdifin. It means they will just come one after the other. They will appear in succession, just like ranks, and they will flow. The flow of 1,000 angels will come pederpe, one after the other. وَمَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بُشْرَىٰ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't do this except as a bushra, as a glad tiding. And number two, وَلِتَّتْمَئِنَّا And so that your heart, وَلِتَّتْمَئِنَّا بِهِ قُلُوبُكُمْ And so that your hearts may be set at rest, so that your hearts may be serene. وَمَنْ نَصْرُ إِلَّا مِنْ إِنْدِ And where does the help come except from, other than from, other, other than from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Inna Allaha Azizun Hakim. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu is Aziz Almighty. Means that He could have granted you victory without needing the angels. But Hakimun, but He is wise. It's out of His wisdom He has chosen to send angels to help you. If you Rashiqumun Nuasa Amanatam Minhu. Same thing here. When Allah Taala uh, sent to you, when Allah Taala covered you, an Nuasa with a slumber, with a drowsiness. We did this earlier in Uhud. The same thing happens here in Badr. Here the Mufassirin have mentioned that this happened the night before the battle. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a 
comforting sleep and drowsiness and slumber over the Sahaba. Except for Sayyidina Rasulullah where he spent a night in ibadah. So the suggestion here is actually that the Sahaba were worried. So now nobody can have as much tawakkul as Sahaba Ikram, right? And if you have the Prophet with you, and the Prophet says that Allah Ta'ala promises victory, but still it suggests to people, right? And the Quran is very honest when it describes warfare. It doesn't try to glorify it and make it seem as if you're overly proud, and some of our boys like to think that, right? Sahaba Ikram, that there's a terror associated with war. There's a terror camping out at night and seeing in front of you an armed forces that triples or far out numbers you, right? And the Sahaba Ikram were a bit unsettled. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this nu'as on them, this peaceful drowsiness slumber on them to settle them, right? Amanatan, as an aman, as a peace, as sanctuary, as a security, as a serenity over them. Minhu from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيَنَزِّلُ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً Second thing that happened was that when they then entered the battle, they, number one, they noticed that they didn't have water for wudu. So Allah subhanahu says, and Allah ta'ala sent upon you water from the skies that you rain, so they get, got their water for wudu. Some commentators have also mentioned that there was, where they happened to engage the enemy, so the enemy land and their land, there was a difference in the firmness of the ground. Right? And they felt, and this is again, we don't know enough about agriculture to understand this, but the Sahaba felt that if their land had been a bit more moist, they would have been on firmer ground. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that may be another reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the water down upon them. وَيُذْهِبَ أَنْكُمْ رِجْسَ الشَّيْطَانِ And Allah ta'ala drove away, dispelled away from you, رِجْسَ الشَّيْطَانِ The taint of shaitan. What does this mean? This means shaitan did waswasa to Sahaba Karam. On the eve of the battle of Badr. This shows you shaitan iblis. And had to be removed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It had to be removed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What was that to the Mufassirun? It's not clear 100% what that was. Some have said that it was this fact that look you don't have water. Second, and they have water. Right? And you are the community that needs water to make wudu. A second was this fact that your land is not firm enough. And they have an advantage in terms of the land that they're in. Allah alam, but somehow something... Shaitan sent a whisper in the hearts of Sahaba. And that was removed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that, why? So that Allah ta'ala may strengthen, make marboot, to make firm and strengthen the resolve Allah on your spiritual hearts. So again, Allah ta'ala operates what? On the kalb, on the kalb. Where does a person become firm and become a person of firm resolve and become steadfast due to their kalb? وَيُثَبِّتَ بِهِ akdam, And that Allah Ta'ala may make you steady and firm on your feet. This could be understood literally, the water firming up the ground. It can also just mean that Allah Ta'ala sent this nu'as on you and removed the whisperings of shaitan to make you firm of resolve. Right? Steady on your feet means firm of resolve. إِذْ يُحِي رَبُّكَ إِلَى الْمَلَائِكَةِ So now look that and when Allah Subh'ala Ta'ala sent wahi, when your Rabb sent wahi, and رَبُّكَ here Sayyidina Rasulullah God means, so when the Rabb, when your, my beloved Messenger when your Rabb sent wahi ilal malaika to the angels, anni ma'akum, that indeed I am with you. So here the nukta is that even the angels need some sukun. They need to be told that they have the ma'iyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala told the angels, anni ma'akum, that look, I am with you, you have my ma'iyat. What should you do? فَثَبِّتُوا الَّذِينَ amanu. So what I want you to do then is I want you to steady, fortify, make firm. Allah Dina Amanu, the people of Iman. 
Next thing Allah Ta'ala did, Sa'ulki, Allah Ta'ala says that indeed I will cast fi kulubil ladheena kafaru. Again, what's being said here, the hearts, the spiritual hearts of those who disbelieve, al-ru'bah. I will put in them, a cast in them a feeling of awe and fear and make them inspired with awe and fear when they see this army of all of these eight sahabah kiram, but all of these 5,000 angels. And you should strike them on their necks, above their necks, and you should strike each and every one of their fingertips. That's literally what it means. First of all, who is this command addressed to? Different commentators have different views. Some say Allah Ta'ala was addressing the angels. Some say Allah Ta'ala was addressing the sahaba. Some say Allah Ta'ala was addressing both. Strike them above their necks. Well, that's understood, right? Strike them in that area, vital area in which you can nullify them. Strike each and every one single of their fingertips. This is understood to be a metaphor that strike them at where they strike you. In other words, that they fight using their hands. So strike them really even at the... They're reaching their hands out to you. You've seen this metaphor earlier as well. That they extend their hands towards you. So strike them at their very fingertips. At the very first part of the part in which they reach out to you, you should strike them there. Alright. And all of this this will befall the unbelievers being fought by angels and being struck above the neck and being struck at the extremity point from which they strike out. All of this is going to befall them because they they contended with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're trying to oppose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His beloved Messenger sallallahu Indeed, that person who tries to contend and oppose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His beloved Messenger then indeed such a person should be well informed and should know that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely severe in His punishment, severe in His reckoning. So thalakum would be there. There you are. فَذُوكُهُ So taste the adab. To taste that shadid al-ikab. وَأَنَّ لِلْكَافِرِينَ أَذَابَ النَّارِ And indeed for the unbelievers is the punishment and torment of the fire of Jahannam. So ذَلِكُمْ فَذُوكُهُ Literally is Allah Ta'ala addressing those who decide to مَنْ يُشَاكِكْ Those who contend and oppose Allah SWT. That there, there you are. So taste, taste that shadid al-ikab and know that Allah, know that for the unbelievers there is nothing other than أَذَابَ النَّارِ The punishment of the Fire of hell. Do you believe that when you meet and encounter those who disbelieve, Zahfan means on the march or in battle. That do not turn, do not turn your backs on them. Do not turn away from them. So here Allah is also telling them, you must be steadfast, you must be firm. And whomsoever turns their back on them yoma idin on that day. Whomsoever turns their backs on them on that day. Except for two things. Except that they're turning their back in order to fight. Oh, in other words, they're turning away because maybe the enemy has come from around them or come behind them. 
or to withdraw to a group to regroup and to re-strategize and to re-engage. So these are the two exceptions and these are two ways in which it's permissible for a person to turn their back. Otherwise, anything other than those two ways, if a person turns their back and flees from battle, so that indeed then they will return. After fleeing from battle, they will return to their homes with the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them and their dwelling place and their ultimate abode will be the fire of Jahannam and that is an awful, evil, terrible place to end up in and a terrible place to be to go. Alright. Here, elsewhere in Surah Al-Anfal, it's coming a little bit later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned the odds and some of the fuqaha have taken out from this the odds of battle. So they come up with a third thing. That when can a person, when can the army retreat? So that is... <coughs> yes, in Surah Anfal, verse 66, Allah subhanahu wa says that if there's a hundred of you who are steadfast, they will overcome two hundred. And if there are a thousand of you, they will overcome two thousand. So what it means, it suggests that Allah Ta'ala has put enough power that a person can overcome double the odds. So some of the jurists, this is a feature of what we call Ahkam al-Qur'an, that they tried to derive legal rulings from Qur'an al-Kareem. So they understood this, they looked at this, and you cannot turn back except for these two reasons. And then they looked at that ayah that's coming later in Surah Al-Anfal, we'll do it today inshallah, right? that you can, cannot turn back if you're either equal to or at least half the numbers of the enemy. But if the enemy outnumbers you by more than two to one, then that is a case where you may legitimately retreat. This is called a strategic retreat. Right? You may actually retreat. There is hadith in Tirmidhi in which Sayyidina Rasulullah said that an army of 12,000, an army, the separatist, separate thing now, an army of 12,000 believers can never ever be defeated. So Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani al-Hanafi al-Mullah when he wrote, uh, and as I think Asirah Sahir, Sahir Kabir, when he wrote about the engage, laws of engagement, he said that if the Muslim army is 12,000 strong, then they should never, that they shouldn't retreat if they're 12,000 strong. Allah knows best, right, uh, what that means. But uh, in any case, so that is coming in certain far verse number 66. And then Allah Ta'ala says about this man, فَلَمْ تَقْتُلُوهُمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ قَتَلُهُمْ That know that you did not kill whoever whichever one of the unbelievers you were able to kill. Remember that was 70. 70 unbelievers were killed in Badr. Allah saying, you did not kill them. However, Allah killed them. And you did not throw or toss when you tossed. But it was Allah who tossed. What is referring to? This is referring to the fact that before the battle, before the battle, Sayyidina Rasulullah took up a scoop full of sand. And he tossed it in the direction of the enemy. And here Allah subhanahu is referring that you, when you did that, you didn't throw the sand. Uh, you didn't throw the sand, but Allah subhanahu threw it. What was the effect of that? That that sand actually dispersed and entered and affected the eyes and nostril and mouth, right? Of all of the enemy fighters. Alright? And when Nabi Karim sallallahu he said this, Tafsir ibn Kathir mentions that he said that may the faces, when he tossed the sand, he said, may the faces of the kuffar be disfigured. Right? In other words, may they be. Uh, so the will of Allah subhanahu was such that the sand reached every kafir in that army, but this was not so the tossing of the Prophet but this was the power of the tossing of that sand of Allah subhanahu 
This word bala can mean two things. It can mean test and it can also mean reward. So different commentators have taken it in two ways. First translation will be then so that Allah Ta'ala may test the believers by means of this battle in the best and most noble of tests, right? Which is a great test because it enables them to attain. Second, do you see what I mean by a good test? A good test is that if you pass it, it gives you a very great thing. So for you people, your GMAT and USMLE is a great test because if you pass it, it enables you to enter into something that you view highly. Second meaning, it could mean in Allah Ta'ala wanted to reward them and Allah Ta'ala wanted to reward them a noble and tremendous reward. Inna Allah Sameen Aleem. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all listening and is all merciful. Thalikum. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing you know, the unbelievers and telling them, indeed, this is what you get. Uh, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will weaken and disgrace and humiliate all of the plotting and all of the conniving and all of the designs of the disbelievers. Then Allah is going to address the disbelievers. In tastaftahu fakad ja'akum al-fat wa in tantahu fahuwa khairun lakum. وَإِن تَؤُودُوا نَأُد وَلَن تُغْنِيَ عَنكُم فِئَتُكُم شَيْئًا وَلَوْ كَثُرَتْ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Here this ayah is addressed unbelievers that if you were in tastaftahu if you were seeking a fatha you were seeking a victory you were seeking a decision or a decisive victory then know that indeed, if you've seeken a decision, indeed a decision has come to you. But the fatah has come not in your favor, but the fatah and decision and victory has come against you. Right? So the decision has come, but the decision has come in favor of the believers. And if you were to refrain, if you were to refrain, it would have been better for you if you refrain, cease and desist. And if even worse than that, you wish to return. You wish to return to the battlefield. You want to return and you wish to repeat. LEB 6017-2007 You have to move the car. If you repeat, if you return, if you come back, if you repeat and return. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying then, Na'ud, uh, then surely we shall return as well. And here this Na'ud, this we is including everyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet, the Malaika, the believers, right? We will all return to engage you. And None of your different groups or regiments or your forces will be avail you in any way whatsoever. Even if you bring even more abundant numbers, it won't help you in any way. Because indeed, Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the believers. Alright. In Tafsir bin Kathir, it's mentioned that while Nabi Kareem Sassam was praying on this side, Abu Jahl was on that side. And interestingly, he actually prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he made a dua that, Oh Allah, on this morning destroy which those from the two groups who are more active in severing family ties and who have introduced new things that we have no knowledge of. 
So what Abu Jahl was saying from his own side, he felt that the Muslims had broken family ties in the sense that some people had become Muslim in the family and other people had remained non-Muslims. The non-Muslim family members remained in Makkah Makarama, the Muslim families had migrated to Medina Manora. So Abu Jahl was upset. And he had felt this new religion of Islam has been a means of serving the family tribes. So that's why elsewhere it's a response to that, that in the Quran Allah SWT makes it clear that the Quranic message and the Islamic message is not at all to sever family ties, but to, right, to keep them together. And here we had that in the very beginning as well. If you remember the very first part, few ayat of Surah Al-Anfal, where Allah SWT had said that what وَأَصْلِهُ ذَاتَ بَيْنِكُمْ That you must always reconcile and mend and keep strong and firm the relations that are between you. So here then, it's mentioned that the occasion of this revelation, this is the jawab to the dua of Abu Lahab. ذَلِكُمْ Right, this is for you, this is taste what you earned on this day. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ مُوْهِنُ وَكَيْنُ الْكَافِرِينَ etc. Up to what we translated up to verse 19, that was actually a response to the dua of Abu Jahab. Alright. Verses 20 on Oh you who believe you should obey Allah SWT on obey Allah SWT's Messenger وسلم, and you should not anhu, and you should not turn your back on him and hear him means the Prophet. And such even though you are listening to him. So this has been understood again by the Mufassirun to be talking generally about turning back on the Prophet وسلم, but also turning back on his Sunnah. Right? Don't turn back on anything that Nabi Yaqeen says. وَأَنْتُمْ تَسْمَعُونَ And you are listening to it, you know it, you're aware of it. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ قَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ And don't be like those people who say we hear, although in fact they're not actually listening, they're not accepting. Indeed, then Allah subhanahu says, Indeed, the worst of creatures, شَدَّ الدَّوَابِ In the law, the worst of creatures, in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa are those people who are willfully deaf and dumb. That's what it means. They're willfully deaf and dumb, and they're people who willfully choose not to refl- not to understand what Nabi Akrim Sassam is telling them. Clearly, right, again you can look at these verses twenty and twenty-one, twenty-two. That the worst of creatures in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those who willfully are deaf and willfully are dumb and who don't, who willfully choose not to understand what Nabi Kareem sallallahu is telling them and therefore they turn away from it. Alright. So this can apply again to people who choose to be willfully ignorant of his sirah, of his adab, of his akhlaq, of his sunnah and hadith and they chose repeatedly to stay away from it. وَلَوْ عَلِمَ اللَّهُ فِيهِمْ خَيْرًا And if had Allah SWT had known that there was any khair in them, any good in them, لَأَسْمَعَهُمْ Then Allah Ta'ala would have made them here. وَلَوْ أَسْمَعَهُمْ However, even if Allah Ta'ala had made them here, لَتَوَلَّوْ Even then they would have turned their backs, they would have spurned Nabi Akrim And وَهُمْ مُؤْرِذُونَ And they would have been people who turned away, who took notice, who did at last. O you who believe, أَسْتَجِيبُوا لِلَّهُ that you, oh, you believe you should only and only respond and hearken to the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Walid Rasuli and to his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ When they, both of the two of them, when the two of them call you, لِمَا يُحْيِيكُمْ To that which will revive you and bring you to life and place haya inside you. So here again you have the tathniya إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ When the two of them call you, 
So it makes it clear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to call us to do certain things. That's in Quran. And Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. is also going to be calling us to do certain things. That's called Hadith and Sunnah. And Allah ta'ala is telling us in Quran that, O oh, you who believe, you must respond and listen and hearken to the call of Allah ta'ala when He calls to you. And it's part of your iman that you must respond and listen to the call of Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. when He calls to you. And they're calling you to things, yuhyikum, that will bring you to life, that will give you life in your spiritually and will also give you a piece of life on this earth. And know indeed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply not literally resides but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes between a person and their qalb. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to gather and resurrect everyone to him. So this ayah it's also something a person can think about when they're making zikr with their kalb, that Allah subhanahu is between a person and their spiritual heart. Allah subhanahu is between a person and their spiritual heart. Okay. This means number one, that Allah subhanahu is closer to a person than their own heart. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said elsewhere in Quran al-Kareem in Surah 50, Surah Qaf, verse number 16, that we are closer to him than his own juggler vein. It also means that Allah subhanahu wa can come between a person and their heart if in their heart they have some lustful passion. And they don't feel that they're able to overcome it. They don't feel that they're able to remove it. They should recite this ayah and then they should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala, you yourself said in Quran al-Kareem that you are between and can come between me and my heart. My heart is full of emotions that are trying to overcome me. My heart is full of emotions and passions that are unlawfully trying to bring me to do what is unlawful. Allah ta'ala, I have no ability to save myself, to stave off the stirring of these emotions. But since you said in Quran that you can come between me and my heart, Allah ta'ala, I ask that you come between me and my lustful heart. I ask that you come between me and my arrogant heart. I ask that you come between me and my envious heart and that you take out the feelings of lust and envy and arrogance from my heart. Right? So this is another ayah to be marked up for use in du'a. Surah Al-Anfal, Surah number 8, ayah number 24. Part of that ayah, أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَهُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ Alright. And you should fear discord and you should feel sedition. And what is that sedition? La to see Banaladina Dalamu Minkum Khasatan. You should fear that fitna that harms not only the that harms the that befalls Alladina Dalamu Minkum Khasatan. La to see Banna. Acha that's saying that you should fear that fitna that does not harm only those who are wrongdoers. There's a one type of fitna that only harms and will only befall the wrongdoers and the unjust. And you should fear that fitna that it doesn't only, it's not khas with only those who are people who are wrongdoing. Means it's a fitna that can overcome us as well. Alright. And we should know, that no indeed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is severe in his punishment. Alright. What does this mean? So one way that the Mufassirin have mentioned that what is that fitna? That harms other people. So this is something we did earlier. The failure when we fail to do Amr bil Ma'roof and Nahi Anamunkar. When we fail to do Iqamat al-Din. When we fail to do Ilai Kalimatillah. Then you are put in a fitna. Right? So let's say there's crime in a society. 
Now that's a fitna, and it's not just going to affect the criminal, it's going to affect the innocent as well. Because we fail to establish social justice, economic justice, the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. Right? So that is also a fitna. And remember what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said earlier, that fitna is ashaddu, is even more intense and extreme, a torment and a calamity and a punishment and a trial and a torture than qatl, than murder itself. And indeed, this is another way to understand that the murder could just affect the murder victim. But fitna can affect people who are actually even innocents. Even innocents. Once Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu in a very long hadith, was a very well-known hadith, and Nabiya Kareem described the example, of hadith in Bukhari, that Nabiya Kareem described the example of people who sin, and second, the people who don't prevent them from sinning. And he said that imagine like a ship, and the ship has two decks, the upper deck and the lower deck. So people will draw lots and they will decide who sits on the upper deck and who sits on the lower deck. So when they were all assigned to their different places, then what will happen is the people on the lower deck will go up to the upper deck to get water for themselves. Then the people on the upper deck will be disturbed. And why are they coming up to us? So what will the people in the lower deck say in the Sokian free? Instead of getting the water that is stored in barrels and canisters upstairs drinking water, we'll simply just dig a hole in the bottom of the ship and get our water directly from maybe, let's say, this river that we're sailing on. Now when the people of the upper deck come down and ask what's happening, then they respond to them, it's all the Hadith, we needed water, and you used to get annoyed when we used to come up to you and take water from your barrels and caskets. So we've decided to get our own water from these holes that we we're making. So then Rasulullah some that imagine that if the, the people on the upper deck, if they stop the others making the hole, the people on the lower deck making then they will all be saved. But if they don't stop, and they go back up and say, okay, you go and make your hole, then not only will the people on the lower deck drown, the whole ship will drown, the people on the upper deck will also drown. So the commentary of this hadith is that this is Amr bil Maruf and Nahi an Mulka. That we cannot stand by idle and pat and let people bring the entire society to a path of destruction, in which not only will they bring themselves to destruction, but they will begin everyone around it to that destruction. Alright? So that is a fitna that is mentioned. Okay? Alright. وَذْكُرُوا إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ And remember that time when indeed you were a small party, when you were small in number. مُسْتَزْأَفُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ That you were taken to be weak and feeble, you were victimized. You were taken to be weak and feeble and you were regarded as weak and feeble and thereby victimized on this earth. تَخَافُونَ أَنْ يَتَخَتَّفَكُمُ النَّاسِ And you used to fear, you were afraid that people might catch up with you. You were so small in number. You were afraid that people will catch up with you. لَتَوَلَّوْ وَهُمْ مُؤْرِذُونَ But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I skipped a line here. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthened you. And He helped you. With this help. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide, sheltered you. And strengthened you. And helped you. And provided you with all the good things. So that you might become grateful and appreciative. يَادِنَا آمَنُوا لَا تَخُونُوا اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ And all you who believe, do not to khiyana, 
Do not betray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Do not be disloyal to them. And is it such that you are betraying other people's trust in you? No, don't do, it means don't do that either. And such a state that you are well knowing and completely cognizant and aware of what it is that you do. So this is another very strong ayah that we should not betray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we should not betray the Messenger we should not knowingly betray the mutual trust that we deposit in one another. What happened? What, what this, the occasion of revelation of this is that Sayyidina Jibreel told the Prophet that you should make this plan of yours to attack the caravan secret. But he had to tell obviously some of the believers. So amongst those believers were hidden some Munafiqeen. And this Munafiqeen, remember Abdullah ibn Ubay, who I told you already the Kufar of Makkah were in contact with him. They then told the people in Makkah Mukarramah, and they then sent people to Abu Sufyan to inform them of what was happening. So this was viewed as a khianat with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a khianat with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another narration is that some of you may, if you've been to Medina Munawra, you would know that there's a pillar there called the Istiwan of Abu Lubaba. Right? Istiwan of Abu Lubaba. This is a place where a person should make dua in Masjid Nabwi. So what is the story of that? So Sayyidina Abu Lubaba radiallahu was a great Sahaba. And he was, mm, happened from pre-Islamic times to have been friends with a lot of Jews. Now when Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu when the Bani Quraitha, when they broke their treaty, and they violated the terms of their treaty, and then Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Sahaba then decided to go and lay siege to their fortress, that they had holed themselves up in. So, when they seized the fortress, then there was this, this discussion as what should be done with the Jews of Bani Quraiza, right? And then in the accordance with uh, Sayyidina Sadim and Muadrat, it was suggested that they should be judged according to their own book and according to the Jewish Torah, right? The punishment for this type of treason and violation of treaty is that their males should be executed and the rest should be taken prisoner. So then when the Prophet ﷺ decided to agree with, to accept Sayyidina Sa'ad's recommendation that they should be treated according to their own laws, right, and what punishment their own religion calls for such treason, that punishment should be meted out to them. To Sayyidina Abu Lubaba, because, let's say, he had had some earlier friendship with some of the Jews, so he simply, when they were looking down from the walls of their fortress, right, so he looked at them and he made a sign like that. <laughs> He took his finger across his neck to indicate to them the decision has been made to slaughter you. Right? The decision has been made to punish you by death for the crime of betraying and betraying the treaty. And by the way, the betrayal of the treaty caused death of Sahab Ikram. Right? So, this is the punishment. So, Allah subhanahu wa revealed this verse. That's one occasion revelation to Nabi Akram Sassam and told Nabi Akram Sassam what Sayyidina Abu Labar had done. So when Sayyidina Abu Lubabra realized this, what he did is he went to one of the pillars of Masjid Nabwi and he tied himself to it. He bound himself to it and he swore that he wouldn't eat or drink anything until either he dies or until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends revelation to the Prophet that Allah has accepted his repentance. And when Sayyidina Rasulullah heard about this, when Sahaba told him this is what he has done, he said that if only he had come to me first, I would have made dua. For him of istighfar. Allahu Akbar. I would have prayed to Allah Ta'ala on his behalf to forgive him. But now he has committed himself. He has pledged himself. He's taken an oath that I'm not going to untie myself from this pillar, right? Until 
So then he said that now he's committed himself, I will only leave him until Allah Ta'ala accepts his tawbah. So for seven days, he stayed like that until he fell unconscious because of lack of food and lack of drink. And at that time, then Allah Ta'ala said, wait to see that Rasulullah that I have forgiven him and accepted his tawbah. And therefore, you should untie him. So the Prophet ordered the Sahaba to have him untied from the pillar. Alright? And still to this day, the Ottomans did a great job of preserving it. And the Saudis have not had the himma to delete it. But it's written in fancy calligraphy. So some of you can't read or not proficient enough to read. It says, Istiwana Abi Lubaba on it. And you will see that there are always people there who are making dua. And this is a place where if a person goes, they should make two rakat salat al-tawbah. They should recite Sayyidul Istighfar dua. They should ask Allah SWT to forgive them for their sins. This is a nisbat, right? Just like I explained to you that we took Maqam Ibrahim as a musallah, we take Maqam Abu Lubaba as a musallah as well. Right? Unfortunately for the, I don't know for the women, this is, I don't know, the women get a particular access to a particular part of the roza. I really don't know. Access milta. And if it doesn't, then they should ask one of their male folk where exactly it is. And uski seedme, if they can pray as close as they can in its line, then inshallah they can also get uh, the benefit of making toba at that place. So it's a nisbah that it enables you, you see, there's nothing per se sacred about that place. But that is a place where you can make a dua, this dua, that you can't make it in the place. And you can say, Ya Allah, I'm at the place where Abu Lubaba made tawbah to you, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Allah, I'm making dua that you accept my tawbah at the very same place that he made dua that you accept his tawbah. Just like you accepted his tawbah, Ya Allah, I ask you to accept mine. Right? Okay. Or another very famous ayah of Quran al-Kareem, Surah Al-Far, verse 29. And know, O believers, know that indeed your money, your wealth, your assets, your property, your possessions are nothing other than a fitna for you. And your children, your children are also a fitna for you. What does this mean, right? It says that your possessions and children are a fitna for you. It means that they are test. Indahu ajrun azim, and to Allah SWT lies the most tremendous reward. Okay, in what sense is a person's wealth and children a test? Number one, let's start with wealth, right? Meaning a fitna here, test means it can cause a person to be neglectful of their duties towards Allah SWT. Sometimes it happens in the pursuit of wealth, in the pursuit of money, in the pursuit of property, in the pursuit of career, in the pursuit of promotion, in the pursuit of fame. Sometimes for some people in the pursuit of education. In the, because that's also a man, that's also a possession. You possess degrees. How many degrees do you hold, right? If that leads a person to compromise on their duties to Allah SWT, this is a test. Sometimes you will be given this choice. And that's something I explained to you several weeks ago. Whenever you're given this choice, and this is one of the ways Allah puts a person in fitna, means Allah puts a person in test, trial, and tribulation, that He gives you a choice between deen and dunya. That the fa'id of the dunya is in path A, but the teaching of deen is that you should do path B. This is now a test for you. This is a test for you. 
and simple way to make sure you never fail this test is just to adopt a simple strategy. Whenever there is a choice or a conflict of interest between deen and dunya, I will always choose deen no matter what. With my eyes closed, tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will always, always choose the deen. So this is one way that wealth is a fitna or is a test for people. Sometimes wealth is also a test for people because they're hesitant to pay their zakah. Sometimes wealth is a test for people because they try to mutilate or mutate the laws of inheritance. Sometimes wealth is a test for people because they're seeking and yearning and coveting other people's wealth. There are many, many ways. And you know, that's even, it's, it's an aphorism, it's a proverb, an adage in English. You know that money is the cause of all problems. Money is the cause of all problems. And Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith, حُبُّ الدُّنْيَا رَأْسُ كُلِّ خَتِيَةً That indeed love for this world and love for the material possessions of this world is the source of all root evil. Right? That's why a person, the way my wife explains this, is that a person should be get an immunization against love for the dunya. Huh? They should get a nice vaccine shot. And if they get that vaccine shot, then they won't have any such problem. Second thing here though that people sometimes get a little bit, they don't understand... And that is that why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning children? So children doesn't mean wa'awladukum fitna. This is a great example of why you should not just pull quote and pluck two words out of Quran. Otherwise if you did that, awladukum fitna literally on its own with no understanding, no context means that your children are a fitna for you. What it means is that children can also be means of test that sometimes people for the sake of their children, they also violate the duties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most of the people who engage in bribery and corruption in this country, when you ask them the first excuse, they'll say that Bacho ki khatr. Bacho ki khatr me le ra. Kya karo? Mujhe khud zurat nahi hai. Mujhe khud talab nahi hai. They say like that. Mujhe koi, mujhe khud shok nahi hai. Mujhe bacho ki liye minna socha ke thoro baat ho jai. Right? So what does it mean? That means children are a fitna. Children are a test in that sense. That sometimes if a person loves their children to that extent, that in order to please their children, they are willing to break the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In that sense, in that moment, and only in that way, are the children of fitna. Sometimes you have, so many times we have a disparity of deen between parents and children. And each case has its own problems. In other words, case number one, parents are on deen and children aren't on deen. That causes problems. Case number two, parents aren't so much in deen and children are on deen. That also has its own set of problems. In that case in which the parents are on deen and their children aren't on deen, sometimes their whims and desires and fancies of the children can be a test for them or a fitna for them. So the parents themselves think, let's say on a wedding, that certain things shouldn't take place and it's not in, in accordance with the proper adab and propriety and decorum that a believer should have. But the child isn't so much on deen. They want it. She wants to get up and dance in front of everyone. Now the parents themselves are embarrassed about that. But they say that chalo beti ki beti ki unko They let her do it, right? They let her do it. They let the relatives video it. They let them post the video on YouTube. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? It can go that far. It can go that far when the parents themselves don't. But why? What? What made the parents? Because they had the soft spot for the children, and they thought that the soft love for the children meant that they should let the children engage in something that was displeasing to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So these are the sense in which it means that children are a test. Children are a test. Alright? And if you fail that test, then you end up in a fitna. Doesn't mean children themselves are a fitna. Alright.
That, oh, you believe, indeed, if you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَجْعَلَّكُمْ فُرْقَانَ Then Allah ta'ala will make a clear criteria for you to decide. What does that mean? And sometimes Allah but sometimes a person may say, look, Allah I didn't know, I wasn't clear at that moment. So if I'm, if I'm going to be tested in terms of my money, in terms of my children, sometimes I don't know what's the right thing to do. So Allah ta'ala is saying, have taqwa. If you adopt taqwa, if you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as you deserve to be feared, you are aware of Him, you're conscious of Him, you're God conscious, God conscientious, then Allah Ta'ala says, Yaj'allakum furqanu, wa yukaffir ankum sayyatakum, wa yukfir lukum. So number one, Allah Ta'ala says, He will make a furqan for you, He will make you, you will be able to see what is the right cause of action, what is the right decision at that moment. And number two, and He will forgive for you your previous sins. That before taqwa you couldn't tell, so you slipped into sin. Allah can forgive that for you. Uh, Allah Ta'ala can wipe away and compensate and expiate the previous wrongdoings that you did. وَيَغْفِرْلُكُمْ And Allah Ta'ala can forgive you. وَاللَّهُ ذُو الْفَضْلِ الْعَظِيمِ And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is that being of immense and tremendous fuzzle, immense and tremendous bounty and grace. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's bounty and grace and favor that He showers on the believers and the people of taqwa is azim. So the rubbed here was what? That the person who does taqwa in tattakullaha, that person is going to encounter wallahu dhul fadlil azim, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being of immense and tremendous fuzzle. Okay, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention something about the disbelievers. وَإِذْ يَمْكُرْ بِكَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And when the disbelievers plotted against you, right? And what did they plot? Allahu Akbar. That they plotted, number one, that they would take you, ka is you, Sayyidina Rasulullah, they wanted to take you captive. Oh, yaktuluka, or they wanted to kill you. Right? Or, oh, yukhrijuka, or they wanted to expel you. Wayamkuruna wayamkurullah. And know that each and every one of those unbelievers, they also plotted and schemed and they devised their strategies. وَيَمْكُرُوا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also planned a strategy. وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of planners. So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas mentions that when the Ansar of Medina had accepted Islam, so the mushrikeen in Makkah Mukarma got worried. This is before the Prophet was still in Makkah Mukarma. They got worried that, look, there's this whole community now in Medina, Yathrib at that time, a city, and a lot of them are coming and they're accepting Islam. So they convened a meeting. And in that meeting, there was a person by the name of Abu Bakhtari. And he said that what we should do is we should place Sayyidina Rasulullah under house arrest. And we should, this literally what he said, we put some house arrest, we should seal all his doors and windows, and we should make a small event and through that vent we should pass some bread and water to him and we should feed him and that's it. We should imprison Sayyidina Rasulullah in his own home. Okay? Then they said that what we should do is that another person then suggested that we should imprison him at home and we should just wait for him to perish. We should just wait for him to pass away. Then another person said, Hisham, another person who was there said that we should put the Prophet on a camel and we should tie him up to that camel and we should just herd that camel outside into the middle of the desert and just send the Prophet on that camel into the middle of the desert. So here Allah SWT is responding to them, right? And Abu Jahl said that he said that look, he he was the one who suggested the Prophet should be killed. So we different one person suggested the imprison, keep captive, another person suggested exile. 
Abu Jahl said that, that every tribe of Quraysh should send forth their most strongest warrior. And I will furnish each of those strong warriors with a sword. And then they should all go and collectively kill the Prophet ﷺ. That way the blood of the Prophet ﷺ will be on all the tribes of the Quraysh. And then there will be no one tribe that will seek vengeance on another. Ajeeb. That they should all together kill the Prophet ﷺ so that his blood will be on all of the tribes of the Quraysh and that way no one tribe will be able to seek vengeance on one another and no tribe will be able to extract diyat or the blood money on one another. So I mean he wanted a mass murder. This is what Abu Jahl, you see you have to understand who, now you appreciate why Allah Ta'ala condemns him so strongly in Quran. He wanted to plan a mass murder against Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. And as it so happened, they agreed with Abu Jahl's decision. So when these assassins then surrounded the home of the Prophet and this is going to be mentioned in Surah Yasin, Surah Yasin is Surah number 36, verse number 9. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going, and what happened that Sayyidina Rasulullah again, he saw this and Allah inspired him to take some sand, some of the earth from his mitti kachamakantana, from his mitti floor, and to toss it around him. And that became a barrier, and as Allah Ponto describes this in Surah Yasin, verse number 9, that we placed a barrier in front of them, and a barrier behind them, and we enveloped them so that they could not see. So in the morning, right, uh, yes, what Sayyidina Rasulullah had done, he had told, when Allah subhanahu wa told Sayyidina Rasulullah, this is what the unbelievers have planned, he went to Sayyidina Ali. And this is considered to be amongst one of the greatest fazail of Sayyidina Ali. And he told Sayyidina Ali that their assassins are going to come. And what you're going to do is you're going to take my place. And you're going to live and reside in my home. Right? And when the assassins came, then Sayyidina Rasulullah on his way out, he tossed this sand on them, such that they weren't able to see him going, nor were they able to notice that Sayyidina Ali was in the home. And they stayed in this confusing barrier, encircled in these barriers around them, as mentioned in Surah Yasin. When the morning came, when dawn broke, Sayyidina Ali he walked out. At that point, Allah Ta'ala removed the barrier, and they were stunned that we are seeing Sayyidina Ali, but then as opposed to the Prophet ﷺ come out, and then the mushrikin realized that they failed, and they asked him, oh, where is the Prophet? And Sayyidina Ali told him, truly, because he didn't know what the Prophet means. he said, I don't know what the Prophet ﷺ is, right? Then what they did is they followed the footsteps of Sayyidina Rasul and they gave chase, but here also, this is the famous incident of, this is when Sayyidina Rasul migrated to Medina Manawra. And so then the mushrikin in Makkah, they had lost time, right? They lost the whole night. So they tried to catch up to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi So they tried to trace with expert trackers in the desert. They followed the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They found him in the cave, right? They found the footsteps leading up to the cave. This is that incident when Allah Ta'ala sent, and this is going to come later in Quran, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala sent a spider, right? Or inspired a spider who was already there to weave a web. So when they came to that cave, they saw the spider web and they thought that nobody would have entered this, uh, the mouth of the cave because the spider web is there. Right? So all of this is being referred to in this ayah that the disbelievers had their own plan to mm-hmm. either make captive or to exile or to kill the Prophet ﷺ. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had his own plan. Wallahu khairul maqirin. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. ayatuna. And when our verses of revelation are recited to them. Qalu. What do they say? Kat Lo nasha'u, lakulna mithlahada. 
They say, yes, we've heard these verses, and if we wanted to, we could say something similar to this. We could also recite something that's like this. In هَذَا إِلَّا أَسَاتِيرُ الْأَوْمَلِينَ And we did this before a few months, and this is just, they would say about Quran that this is nothing other than, the literally means lines, it means and sayings of the ancients. This is nothing other than the parables and sayings of the ancients. With قَالُوا اللَّهُمَّ إِنْ كَانَ هَذَا هُوَ الْحَقَّ مِنْ إِنْدِكَ فَأَمْتِرْ عَلَيْنَا حِجَارَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ أَوْ اِعْتِنَا بِأَذَابٍ عَلِيمٍ Or, what was the second thing that they would say? The second thing the unbelievers would say, they would say that all of that they would say to Allah, that all of this is really the truth from you. If this is really the truth from you, then فَأَمْتِرْ عَلَيْنَا حِجَارَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ Send down stones, rain down upon us stones from the sky. Or bring to us an adab, that is punishment. So the unbelievers actually used to make a mocking dua. They used to say, Allahumma, if indeed this is truly from you, these verses that the Prophet are reciting, then send down us a hailstorm or a storm of rocks from the sky. And Allah Ta'ala says that He's not going to punish them. And as Allah Ta'ala is not going to punish them, as long as you are amongst them. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ And Allah SWT will never ever send, nobody ever punish them if they sought forgiveness of Allah SWT. وَمَا لَهُمْ أَلَّا يُعَذِّبَهُمُ اللَّهُ وَهُمْ يُسُدُّونَ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ But however, they're indeed, why should, why, why not, why should Allah Taala not punish them? They're completely worthy of the punishment of Allah SWT when they stop people from Masjid al-Haram, from the sacred Masjid, from going to the Kaaba. وَمَا كَانُوا أَوْلِيَاءَهُ إِنْ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ إِلَّا الْمُتَّقُونَ And know that indeed that they are not the friends of Allah SWT and they are not the friends of Allah SWT. Indeed, the friends of Allah SWT are none other than the people of Taqwa. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْنَمُونَ However, the vast majority of them don't know. So this is the verse I had mentioned to you earlier was coming. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ The very presence of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. The very presence of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam was something that prevented azab from coming on these people. And this is also a sign that Allah Ta'ala is trying to tell them that look, this person is so special. He's such a noble prophet and messenger of Allah that his very presence being, not your belief in him, just his presence amongst you is sufficient to prevent the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coming down upon you. Some again have taken this to mean, they, they, they extrapolated from this ayah that Allah Ta'ala's azab will never come as long as the sunnah of the Prophet remains in this ummah. And that day when the sunnah is lifted up entirely, that means his legacy, his teachings, his prophecy, his prophetic teachings is lifted entirely, then this ummah can make itself, or any community in this ummah, which has completely abandoned the sunnah, can make itself mustahik of adab. Second, Allah Ta'ala says, and Allah Ta'ala also would never ever punish them if they sought Allah's forgiveness. So it means as long as people are making istighfar, Allah Ta'ala will never send us azab. That's why sometimes in some circles they even have gatherings of istighfar and tawbah. Just for this reason, so that Allah Ta'ala's azab doesn't come upon this ummah, or come on this city, or come on this neighborhood, or come on this community. Right? And this is why, especially many times when things in Pakistan go up and down, or when they go down rather, so many of the ulama and mashayikh mentioned to people that they should get together and they should make istighfar. They should make istighfar lest any of these halat convert into an azab that is sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that وَمَالَهُمْ that Allah, in other words, that there is nothing in them that Allah ta'ala should not, they're completely worthy of being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not as if they're not worthy. So Allah ta'ala is not punishing them despite their being worthy of that punishment. In awliyahu illal muttakul, this is the very often recited ayah as well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it clear that who are the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are none other than the people of taqwa. So what does that mean? That means that if a person suggests that, no, I'm very close to Allah, I have my own super close special relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they don't have taqwa, it means they're false. They could be false in the sense that they're outright lying. They can also be false in the sense that they're in self-delusion. They're in a delusional state to think they can become the wealthy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without taqwa, because Allah ta'ala said in Quran, in awliya'uhu illa al-muttakun. And you will see over and over in Quran, taqwa, taqwa, taqwa is the number one most important feature and attribute that a human being is supposed to have, a mu'min is supposed to have. And you find in this ummah today that it's the number one missing feature. Very few Muslims can say, may muttaqi musulmanu. They may be able to say, may such bulni wala musulmanu, right? And I think that they overestimate that, that such bulni wala musulmanu, magar muttaqi neyo. Right? That's the problem. So the Ummah needs muttaqi and sadiq. We need both. The Ummah needs wo musaman just sach bhi ho or muttaqi bhi ho. The Ummah is not benefited from either one. Ummah is only going to be benefited when people have both things in them. And here specifically Allah is mentioning that people who have taqwa, they will become close, beloved, intimate, friends of Allah subhanahu wa That's the highest rank after Nabiin. After the Anbiya, next rank is Awliya. Sometimes also called Siddiqeen in Quran. And that is only going to a person can only attain Wilaya on the basis of their Taqwa. More Taqwa, more Wilaya, less Taqwa, less Wilaya. That's simple. But most people don't realize this about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most people don't realize that Taqwa is the way to become his friend. Most people don't realize that. Allah Ta'ala is saying in the Quran, right? Wilayat, being the awliya of Allah, means to be His beloved. So love for Him may be enough to be His lover, but love for Him is not enough to be His beloved. In order to be His beloved, a person has to have taqwa. A person has to have this all-important, incredible attribute of taqwa. Alright, this is referring to the unbelievers, that their prayer in the in the Bayti when they are near the Kaaba is nothing other than Illa Mukaiwatasdiya. That they do nothing but clapping, whistling and clapping. Their prayer, in other words, but just sounds, they do nothing other than whistling and clapping. So then what does the Spantile tell them in Quran Karim for Zukul Adabi Bimakuntum Takfurun? So you should taste the punishment of the fire, experience and enter into the punishment of hellfire by means of all of those things that you disbelieved in. Due to your disbelief, due to the life that you led that was spent in disbelief. Indeed those who disbelieve, they spend their money on what? Liyasuddu an Sabilullah. They spend their wealth and property possessions so they can stop people from going on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَسَيُنْفِكُونَهَا ثُمَّ تَكُونُ عَلَيْهِمْ حَسْرَةً So they will spend it, but very soon they will have that spending, 
that spending money in order to prevent people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, very soon it will become a hasad, it will become a source of regret for them. It will become a source that they will regret doing so. ثُمَّ يُغْلَبُونَ And indeed, then very soon they will become overcome. They will become overcome. They will become defeated. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِلَىٰ جَهَنَّمَ يُحْشُرُونَ And indeed those who disbelieve, they will all be gathered and collected and resurrected and drawn towards Jahannam, drawn towards the fire of hell. لِيَمِيزَ اللَّهُ الْخَبِيثَ مِنَ الْتَيِّبِ So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may distinguish and separate the bad from the good. And then what is he going to do? وَيَجْعَلَ الْخَبِيثَ بَعْضُهُ عَلَى بَعْضٍ He is going to stack up the bad over the bad. So Jahannam will be stacked and layered. And bad people over bad people over bad people over bad people. The khabith will be placed, some of them over others. فَيَرْكُمَهُ جَمِيعًا And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will heap them up all together. And then he will heap them up and gather them up all together. فَيَجْعَلُهُ fi jahannam, And then toss the whole bundle of them into Jahannam. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمَ الْخَاسِرُونَ خَاسِرُونَ Indeed, those are those people who are extreme loss, absolute loss. Their ultimate, eternal, absolute loss. Alright. This was referring to those who prevent people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What I mentioned to you earlier, they presented those those Ansar from Madinah Manawar to go for Umrah. So it shows that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment is going to come on them in the Akhirah, it's going to be for things that they did. It's not just their disbelief, it's their preventing other people from believing. And many times you find this coming over and over again. They stop people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They stop people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now as believers, as Muslims, we don't have the disbelief of the kuffar. So we're innocent of that. Right? Obviously, by, defini- by definition, if you're a believer, you don't have disbelief. But there's some believers today who also stop people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa Sometimes they do it just by mocking. Sometimes out of jest. For example, you may go to a gathering where there's a group of these secular progressive liberals and there's one of them who went on hajj. Now he went on hajj. Faris hajj. He went on hajj once. Now he came back and it's been a few months and he's missing Kaaba. He's missing Medina Manawra. So he tells one of his friends that Yaar me socho me umrah ke liye He said, Ya, kya aap abhi haj kar karayin? Kya ho gya aapka? That's, that's, that's guilt, that's equals. That statement equals stopping people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You just came back from haj. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now again, people don't realize, right? They don't realize the audacity of their actions and the, and the temerity and the intensity of their words. But that's what they talk. Then what's the matter with you? Why do you want to go again? That would count as stopping people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Somebody says, oh, you know, I was thinking to going to such and such a place. Their friend will say, oh, why do you bother going there? What do you need for that? Sab kuch Quran mein likha khud parlo. Right? Sab kuch Quran mein likha khud parlo. So they're stopping people again from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there are many, many ways Muslim believers do this. They may stop a person from following the sunnah. They may stop a person from going to the masjid. Right? Sometimes mothers stop their sons and why are you going to just garmin namaz parla? If that boy has an attachment to masjid, house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doesn't the mother want that he should be attached to his nani's house, that he should go to nani's house? Right? Does he say that may nani se garse phone prabhi baat kar sakta? He could say that. He could tell somebody about that. Then may garse nani se bas phone prabhi baat kar luga. Unki gar jane ki goi zirut nahi. The mother would die if her son told her that. 
But she can tell the same sir that why go to the masjid? Garmi bhi to namaz hoti hai na. Ab, yes, obviously. Obviously. But if he wants to go to the masjid, the home of Allah subhanahu ta'ala for its incredible barakat and fazilat, why do you stop him? Why do you stop him? And so we should know that stopping people from their deen, discouraging them, mocking them, holding them back in any way whatsoever, that is an attribute of the kuffar. It is that attribute of kuffar that upon which Allah Ta'ala just said all of these intense verses. Not because of their kuffar, but because they used to stop people from the path of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Allah says, I'm going to pile one over the other and toss the whole bundle into Jannah. So just like we had mentioned earlier when we had a lot of ayat in the beginning, I think it was in Surah Bakr about munafiqeen. And we told you that the Mufassirin have called this alamat of munafiqeen, that what were their signs? And that we should try never to have any of their signs and attributes in us. Just like that, the signs and attributes of the unbelievers that Allah Ta'ala mentions in Quran, we should make sure that we never have any one of those signs and attributes inside of us. Right? Okay. Kafaru, that say my beloved Nabi Akrim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to those who disbelieve. Say my Nabi Akrim Sassam to those who disbelieve. That if you stop doing what you're doing, if you stop preventing people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgiveness will be decreed for you. For each and every single thing that you have done in the past. And this offer is still there for every unbeliever. Any unbeliever who accepts Islam, every single thing that they did prior to becoming Muslim will be absolutely completely forgiven and wiped away by Allah subhanahu wa However, وَإِن يَعُودُ فَكَدْ مَذَتْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ That know that if indeed you return, if you return, if you return, or it can also mean if you persist, then Allah Ta'ala is saying that فَكَدْ مَذَتْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ That indeed has already passed the example of a prior generation. So this could be referring to the stories that we did earlier in the previous surah about the punishment that Allah Ta'ala sent on previous communities that Allah Ta'ala's punishment will come on a community if they perpetually choose to disbelieve. Now it doesn't come on the Mushrikeen of Makkah right? but the ways of the previous nations that have passed are an example for them, are an example for them as to what is going to happen. right? What does that mean? If the punishment won't come, but the same defeat, defeat will come. And surely that's what happened, that those groups that didn't renege on their disbelief, there Allah Ta'ala afflicted them with disbelief. وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ So Allah Ta'ala addressed the Sahaba Ikram now that those unbelievers who after been given this message that if they cease, they refrain, they desist, if they accept Islam, Allah will forgive them, but if they choose not to do so, they choose to persist. So what is being, the Sahaba are being told, وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ You should fight them. حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ You should fight them until they no longer remain a fitna. So it doesn't say fight them to the death eradicate them and commit genocide. No, because the purpose of fighting was not killing. The purpose of fighting was so much so that they are no longer a fitna. That's why they are fought. What does fitna again mean? That they are unjust, they are causing injustice, sedition, discord, oppression. So fight them until what? Hatta literally means until. La takuna fitnatan That they stop becoming a fitna such that they are no longer a fitna. وَيَكُونُ الدِّينُ كُلُّهُ لِلَّهِ And fight them 
until deen itself is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have to eradicate the idols that they've put in the Kaaba. You have to stop them from making their naked tawaf around the Kaaba. So that's the second reason to fight them. That you must eradicate the false religions that they have. فَإِنِنْ تَهَوْ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا يَأْمَلُونَ بَسِيرٌ And if then they stop, if they desist, if they stop, then know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware about every single thing that they do. When تَوَلَّوْ And if you turn back, فَأَلْمُ أَنَّ اللَّهَ مَوْلَاكُمْ Then know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your master. نِعْمَ الْمَوْلَى وَنِعْمَ الْسِيرٌ And He is the most excellent and greatest of masters. And He is the most excellent and greatest of helpers. مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَأَنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمَسًا Alright, here is now coming, returning to this issue of the ahkam of the spoils of war. Alright, so you did, we did this in the first ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the spoils of war, initial answer was given that therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu What did it mean? That the decision, the decision concerning the spoils of war, that is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is for Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu to make. Now here comes, and we're in Ayah 41 onward, what is that decision? So know that annama ghanimtum, whatever you get from ghanima, and you've heard this term in your Urdu, is a mala ghanimat. Same thing as anfal, right? Whatever you get in terms of the spoils of war or the booty or the gains from the battlefield. Min shay'in from whatever you get. فَأَنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُسَهُ That for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one-fifth. What does it mean that for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَلِلْرَسُولِ and for the Prophet وَلِلْقُرْبَى and for the relatives, وَالْيَتَامَى and for the orphans, وَالْمَسَاكِينَ and for the poor, وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ and for the traveler. إِن كُنْتُمْ آمَنْتُمْ بِاللَّهِ وَمَا أَنزَلَ عَلَىٰ أَبْدِنَا If indeed you believe in Allah SWT and you believe in all that we have revealed, عَلَىٰ أَبْدِنَا on our Abd, يَوْمَ الْفُرْقَانِ Sometimes the day of Badr is referred to as يَوْمَ الْفُرْقَانِ because this is the day that Allah Ta'ala made this decision and established what we did for you before earlier, established the Haq as Haq and established Batal as Batal. يَوْمَ الْتَقَلْ جَمْعَانِ This is the day when the two armies and two battalions met. وَاللَّهُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ كَدِيرٍ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful over each and every single thing. Alright. So one-fifth of the sum of all and every type of booty will be given to Baytul Mal to the Islamic treasury. That's what it means. So obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't take it. And Sayyidina Susan doesn't take it for his own self. Right? But it is given Baytul Mal to these categories and these are all the same categories that you saw earlier were the masada for the categories for whom zakat was eligible. The remaining four-fifths is distributed amongst the mujahideen. The remaining four-fifths is distributed amongst those warriors who fought that battle in which these spoils were given. All right? The cavalry, a horseman, gets double the sawab, uh, not sawab, double the mm, anfal, double the spoils of war than the foot soldier. Reason is that the horseman has a great expense because he has to tend to his horse. He has to feed his horse. Right? So this notion of giving it to the mujahideen, this was the way of financial support. You see, in Islam, the soldiers aren't paid. Otherwise, if you look in the contemporary world, nation states, their armies are salaried soldiers. They're paid salaries. It's a job. Right? It's a job. And, the, and so they're able to financially support themselves and their families by means of that salary. So the, in, in Islam, there's no salary for that. I mean, I'm not saying Islam against Islam to give the Pakistani army salary. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the time of Sahabah Ikram, they were not salaried soldiers, right? 
but they needed some financial compensation. Some of them would have lost a sword in battle, for example, so they're going to, need to buy another sword. Their shield may have split in battle, they need to buy another shield. Their horse may have been killed in battle, they have to go buy another horse, right? So obviously every battle requires financial expenditure and also results in incurring a financial loss. So all of that was then fulfilled and compensated through this, which is the spoils of war, the Malay Ghanimat. Alright. So the first fifth then is used, right, for the Potsasalam, the relatives, the orphans, the poor, and the travelers on the path. Alright. Now the Spanta is going to mention, right, a few things, details about the battle of Badr. Some of them I've already done for you. Uh, this is verses number 42 onwards. Verses number 42 onwards. So remember when you were on the near side of the valley, and they, means the enemy, were on the far side of the valley, and the caravan was below you, right? So it means that all three things had been caught up, right? So you had the Muslim army, you had the unbeliever army, and the caravan was also there. The caravan was also there. Now if you had made an appointment, or you had promised one another to fight, you would have failed to have kept it. But the battle took place such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might bring about something already ordained so that those who were to pass away might pass away after seeing a clear proof and so that those who were to live might live after seeing a clear proof. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all seeing wa inna Allah ta'ala is all listening and all knowing. Allah ta'ala is all listening and all knowing. Alright. What is this referring to? This is referring to, number one, that the Sahabi Ikram had originally, right, they originally intended that they were going to engage the members of the caravan. Here Allah SWT has mentioned that, uh, sorry, the Mushrikeen were camped at a place of Badr that was far from Medina and was more conducive to fighting. And this I discussed with you that the Muslims were forced to camp at a place where the sand was more loose. And one reason is that the one thing the commentator said was that the rain came down to firm up that sand in that battle. But before the battle, Sayyidina Rasulullah had seen a dream in which he saw that the kafar were few in number and the Sahaba Ikram were encouraged by that dream. However, when the Sahaba Ikram came onto the battlefield and they saw that the unbelievers were great in number, so then they got again a little bit shaken up in the sense that they got a bit confused, put it that way, that this is not according to the description that the dream of Sayyidina Rasulullah saw. Alright. So now here Allah subhanahu is going to mention this. Uh, the manamika literally means in the sleep of the Prophet but it means in the dream. Right? So they were Allah Ta'ala showed the unbelievers to be Khalil, to be few in number in the dream sleep of the Prophet. However, when they actually showed up, they saw that uh, when the believers actually showed up, they saw that they were many in number. They were many in number. So what happened then? Uh, sorry, وَلَوْ أَرَاكُهُمْ كَثِيرًا لَفَشِلْتُمْ وَلَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ That if indeed Allah Ta'ala had shown you, had shown the unbelievers to be abundant in number, then لَفَشِلْتُمْ You would have lost heart. You would have lost resolve. وَلَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And then you would have argued with one another regarding the command. 
But instead, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved you. Saved you. إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ sudur And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each and every single thing that lies in the hearts of people. Alright? What is this being mentioned? So this was something that the Sahaba were feeling بِذَاتِ sudur Inside their hearts. This I already did with you in the beginning when I introduced Surah Al-Nafal. Right? That they were worried about the strategic wisdom of fighting an army of large numbers. That's the very first thing we did for you today. Right? So this is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that if indeed He had revealed their true number or had shown their shown them to be abundant in number to the Prophet in a dream, then the Sahabikram would have lost heart, lost hope, lost resolve. So instead Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed them to be few in number. And Allah Ta'ala showing them to be few in number was not contrary to the fact because they were one thousand, Sahaba were three hundred thirteen, and angels were five thousand. So when you have now 5,313 on one side and 1,000 on the other side, so in front of 5,313, 1,000 are few in number. So this was actually part of the dream shown to Sayyidina Rasulullah But when Sahaba Ikram came, they could not see the angels. There are some reports, and especially Ibn Kathir, in not in his tafsir, but in his history book, Al-Bidayah wa Nahaya, he is really... Written a lot of details, a lot of details about Battle of Badr, but we don't know 100% the accuracy of all of those reports. But in that, in his book, Al Madai Wan he mentioned incidents of Sahaba seeing angels, or hearing angels, or, or hearing the lash, or the striking of the swords of the angels on the unbelievers. He's mentioned some quite interesting, actually, uh, anecdotes or stories uh, from that battle. Right? But even notwithstanding that, overall, the Sahaba were not able to see those 5,000 angels. Some Sahaba reported being able to see one or hear one or hear one of them strike a sword on an unbeliever. Alright? Okay. وَإِذْ يُرِيكُمُوهُمْ Alright, here the sponsor, we are here on verse numbers 44. Here the sponsor saying that he showed them to you, had he shown them to you as many, you would have certainly lost heart, this heart is for you. When you met the two of them, when you, when you encountered and you engaged them, and when you were made to see them in your encounter, if you in your own eyes, kalilan, so Allah SWT said, He made you few in their eyes, so that He may bring about what He has ordained. What does that mean? That Allah Ta'ala, when you came, even though you were few, 313, you looked even less in number. So what happens then, and I discussed this with you in Uhud as well, a similar thing, that battle is emotional. And sometimes when one group is overconfident, then they don't fight as well. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Sahaba Ikram appear to the enemy fighters, that the Sahaba were few in number, the enemy fighters became overconfident. And it was easier for the Sahaba to slay them. In fact... Some commentators have even gone so far as to say, one place I read that the 5,000 angels didn't engage in any fighting whatsoever. Just the robe that Allah Ta'ala, the awe and fear that Allah Ta'ala put in the heart of the unbelievers, right? And their overconfidence, and the confidence that Allah Ta'ala put in the heart of the Sahaba, that the 313 Sahaba were able to actually vanquish and defeat those 1,000 unbelievers, right? But like I told you, others have mentioned incidents of the angels striking uh, the unbelievers. So Allah knows best what that is. 
and all matters will ultimately be returned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you believe when you encounter an enemy group, فَثْبُتُوا You should make yourself firm and steadfast. وَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا لَأَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ And you should remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly so that you may become people who are successful. So here the Mufassir mentioned that there are two things mentioned. وَثْبُتُوا means in terms of your resolve, your physical stance. You should become strong and stand steady. And you must make dhikr of Allah subhanahu This shows us the importance and ahmiyah of dhikr. That even the mujahid who is doing jihad fi sabilullah. Right? So obviously that's an ibadah. He's engaged in an ibadah. But even then, that mujahid, in order to become strong and steadfast, in order to attract the madad and nusrat and help of Allah subhanahu is being told to remember Allah subhanahu abundantly. Allah wa rasuluhu. And you should obey Allah subhanahu And obey Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا And you should not engage in any arguments and disputation and quarrel with another. فَتَفْشَلُوا For were you to do so, you would lose heart, you would lose resolve, you would lose hope. وَتَذْهَبَ رِيْهُكُمْ And then what would happen is then your spirit would desert you. Your spirit would desert you. وَاسْبِرُوا And you should, be, you should be firm and steadfast and endure. إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَا الصَّابِرِينَ Indeed, Allah SWT is with the people of Sabr. And do not be like those people. Who leave, came out from their homes. In what way? Full of conceit and ostentation and display, showing off to people. And actually they were trying to bar people from the path of Allah Muhit. And Allah's knowledge has full knowledge of everything that they do. Allah's knowledge encompasses each and every single thing that they are doing. Alright. Here, when Allah SWT said that you should be steadfast, and I explained to you again the human aspect of war. So in the hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah told the Sahaba, never ever hope to meet the enemy. Never look forward to that. And always ask Allah SWT for safety. When you do have to face them in combat, then you should fight them with sabr, you should fight them being steadfast and fortitude. So although yes, right, certainly Islam does mention a lot of sawab for that person who gives their life when they're fighting aggression and injustice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa Islam does not glorify battle for the sake of battle. Islam does not glorify battle for the sake of battle. So listen to the words of Sayyidina Rasulullah again, never hope or you could even say never yearn to meet the enemy. And always ask Allah for aman. That's better that we live in peace and safety. We don't want war. However, when you do have to face them in combat, when you do have, to, when there's no other resort, when you have to do that to fight their injustice and aggression, then then you should fight them with sabr. You should be steadfast and fight them with fortitude and endurance. All right. So this shows ultimately, primarily, the peace-loving the peace-loving uh, nature of Islam. That war is not glorified, war is not the first option, war is the last resort altogether. All right. In Hadith in Abu Dawud, Sayyidina mentioned that the reward for Salah and the reward for fasting and the reward for Zikr are multiplied 700-fold. Multiplied 700-fold when a person is fi sabilullah. All right. Here, this other command Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا That you should not quarrel and argue with one another. 
You should not quarrel and argue with them. Why? Because when the Muslims fall into arguments and disagreements, then they will become weak. When they are weak, then the enemy may attack. Then you're more likely to end up in a state of war as opposed to a state of peace. However, when people are aligned, that's why in the world, why does the West make an alliance called NATO? It was actually for peace. It wasn't for war. After World War II, they made this alliance for the sake of peace because they also understood that if we don't quarrel and we become aligned and allied with one another, then this alliance will be a deterrent for war and being in a state of unity is going to increase the chances of us being on peace. And that was their genuine worry after World War II that they wanted that war shouldn't happen again in Europe. Right? So the same thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying much, much earlier in Quran al-Kareem. That don't quarrel and dispute, but instead be well unified and well allied with one another. That is going to increase the chances of peace prevailing, and that will decrease the chances of war having to come. Alright. Verses number 48 and onwards. When Iblis, when Shaitan made their foul deeds seem fair to them, when he adorned and beautified their actions for them, and he told them that Noah will conquer you today, for I will be standing right beside you. None from humanity can overpower you today, and I am your Allah. That's what Shaitan said to them. That there is no power that can overcome you on this day from all of humanity, and indeed I am your companion, I am right by your side. Alright. But when the armies came within sight of one another, then Iblis turned on his heels. Hmm? He fled on his heels. And he said that I am free of you. So this is what Iblis is telling the unbelievers. You see the believers had 5,000 angels. And who the unbelievers had, they had Iblis come to their side. But the second the armies engaged one another, whereas the angels remained steadfast, Iblis fled on his heels, and what did he say to the unbelievers? Inni bari umminkum. I'm absolved as you, I have nothing to do with you, right? I have nothing to do with you. Why? Inni ara ma la tarona. Because I can see what you can't see. What was he saying? He was saying 5,000 angels coming at him with 313 sahaba. And these guys couldn't see that. Yes, it's Quran. He said, inni ara ma la tarona. Iblis told them that I can see what you can't see. Inni akhafullah mazagya. Iblis said I'm terrified of Allah subhanahu wa But actually he's fearing Allah subhanahu wa in what sense? Wallahu shadidul akab. And indeed know that Allah subhanahu wa It's unclear. Is this a continuing of continuation of the quotation from Iblis or is this a shift what we call iltifat in Arabic to third person? Most likely this is third person and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, But some have suggested, right, that it may mean that Iblis, well, number one, the people who are less considerate to Iblis, put it that way, they say that Iblis didn't fear Allah, he was fearing for his own life. He doesn't fear, if he feared Allah, he would have done the sajda that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to do. If he feared Allah, he wouldn't have talked back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like we showed you earlier a few days ago. He doesn't fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He feared for his life when he saw the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coming. Second, is that he knows, if, if this is a statement, so he's making a statement, Wallahu shadidul laqab. Others have said that he feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he was worried that, okay, Allah ta'ala did tell me that I've been given reprieve until the day of judgment, right? But here, if I'm chosen, but Allah Ta'ala, that didn't, that didn't include me standing with the unbelievers against the Prophet on the battlefield of Badr. So he got scared that maybe my standing here on the battlefield and all these 5,000 angels, right, 
who all must have been able to see him also. He must have felt like a big nishana standing there with 5,000 angels coming at the unbelievers. So he got worried that maybe, maybe my standing here is, you know, maybe Allah said, you're free to do whatever you want, but this is too bold a step I've taken, and maybe I won't be allowed to live until the end of time. Maybe I'll be finished right here. So that's, in that sense, he was scared. Alright. So then the hypocrites, uh, and here the Tha's saying is, remember when the hypocrites and those in whose hearts were a disease. What happened here is that the munafikin, uh, when the Muslims were preparing to face off the mushrikeen who were three times in the number, the munafikin then scoffed at them and mocked them and said, look, you are going to fight a battle that you could never win. These people, are you were deluded. You have been deluded and you have been duped by your deen. Alright? Those in whose hearts is a disease, number one, they say that this is also refers to the munafikin. Others say that it refers to those, I told you, those women's and bards and singers who came to support the unbelievers in, in Makkah Makaram, uh, unbeli- the unbelievers from Makkah Makaram who were fighting in Badr. Alright? That indeed their deen has duped these people. Their deen has deluded these people. In other words, they're fighting for the sake of their false deen. They were being mocked by saying, look, these people are duped by their deen. But indeed, whomsoever trusts and depends on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed they should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all wise. Alright, then I'll mention to you just a few interesting more details of the Battle of Badr and then we're going to move on to a different topic. Number one is that this battle took place on the 17th of Ramadan. Number two of the 313 Muslims who were fighting, 76 were from the Muhajireen and the rest were from the Ansar, those two tribes of Aus and Khazraj. Number three, certain narrations place the numbers of the Makkan army at a thousand, some say nine hundred, some say nine fifty, some say a little more than a thousand. Next is that Sayyidina Rasulullah actually was shown by Allah SWT exactly where those seventy unbelievers who were killed of the thousand, right? And that's a very small casualty. By the way, if you look at the wars that are fought in recent times and recent centuries, the casualty rate both in absolute numbers and also in proportion is very small. Seventy casualties is extremely small. And as a percentage of a thousand, that's seven percent. Seven percent. So for seven percent of an army and the others survive, so it shows that the warfare at that time was still very light. Very light and very limited. This is before the quote unquote weapons of mass destruction. I told you 70 were killed and 70 were taken prisoner. And those 70s who were taken prisoner, they were ransomed off later on and they were purchased, uh, their freedom was purchased by their relatives and their tribes in Makkah um, Makarama. Who were some of the major people who were killed on this day? Number one, Abu Jahl. Right? Number one most important casualty of those 70 is Abu Jahl was killed on this day. And you know the story, the two young men from the Ansar, they attacked him with Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood, he has the honor of being the one who inflicted the final death blow to him. When Sayyidina Rasulullah was given the news of 
the death of Abu Jahl, uh, he said, Alhamdulillah, all praises for Allah SWT. Second major person who was killed was Umayyah, Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Umayyah ibn Khalaf was that person you may remember who tortured Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right? Who placed those huge boulders, boulders on Sayyidina Bilal anhu in the hot of the summer day. Alright? These are the two famous people amongst the unbelievers who were killed. They were all put, uh, their, their bodies were thrown into a well. Their bodies were thrown into a disused well, and this sort of you can say that they were buried in that sense. And then Nabi Akrim Sasam went to that well, and he addressed each and every one of them by name. And he said to them, that each, everyone, he said one by one to each and every one of them, addressing their dead bodies, that would it not have pleased you if you had obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, as it would have been better. Would it not have been better for you than rather than coming to this fate that you had to die in battle? So even after their death, Nabi Hikram Sallallahu had a hasrat that if only they had, you know, accepted iman and had learned to live with peace with the believers. Alright. Fourteen sahaba were martyred, got shahadat at Badr, six were from the Mahajirin, and eight were from the Ansar. The Sahaba Karam stayed back in Badr. Sahaba Karam stayed back in Badr for, for three days, right? For three days. And they sent Sayyidina Zayd ibn Harith radiallahu ta'ala was sent back to the people of Medina to inform of the victory. While Nabi Karim Sassam was away, at the time of the Battle of Badr, his daughter, Sayyidatun Rukayyar Vadiyatun, she passed away in Medina Manawra during this time when the Prophet was at the Battle of Badr. This is the reason why Sayyidina Uthman Vadiyatun was actually not participated in the Battle of Badr because that was his wife and the Prophet told him to stay back and tend to his ailing wife and his wife had passed away during that time. One of the miracles of the Prophet in this battle was that Sayyidina Qatada, ta'ala anhu, his eye was displaced from its socket in the battle. He received a blow to his eye that his eyeball was dangling out. So after the battle, when they took him to Sayyidina and they were wondering that what should we do, so Sayyidina simply took his eye and put it back in the socket. And Sayyidina Qatada said that I saw better with that eye than I... After that, he says, it says that after that I saw better with that eye than I ever saw even with the other one. Similarly, another eye, the eye of another sahaba was struck by an arrow right into the eye. Sayyidina Rasulullah and this is in Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah took some of his saliva and put it on the eye and the wound of that eye was healed and the eye became completely whole again. Sayyidina Rasulullah also said in Hadith that that person who participated in Badr will never enter Jahannam. So all of the Badri Sahaba were given a glad tiding. So one is the Ashram of Bashra, those ten, but here is a glad tiding given to the Sahaba of Badr. In fact, I will tell you that some of the Muhaddisin, Muhaddisin, they used to have this practice that they would take the names of the 313 Sahaba of Badr and then they would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once I even saw in Arabic a little booklet that was printed which had those names and it was done so that it was done so that you could 
recite those names and then make dua. Again, not making dua to those 313, just reciting their names. That's it. Just reciting their names and then making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So that's all we have to say about Mother. Surah is now verse number uh, 50 and onwards. If only you, my beloved Messenger Sassam, could see that when the angels take the souls of the disbelievers, how they strike their faces and they strike their backs and they say to them, the taste, the punishment of the fire of Jahannam. Right? This is something I had mentioned to you before, that when a person passes away in a state of disbelief, their punishment starts right there and then, but the moment when the angels take their soul in a painful way. And they said to them, this his punishment is caused to you because of what your own hands sent forward. It means the own actions that you earned with your own hands. And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never unjust to any one of his creatures. And Allah Ta'ala is not unjust to any one of his creatures. Why am I saying creatures here? Because these were unbelievers. So they were not the ibad, they were not the worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were not the worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they were still being referred to as abid here. How can I explain this to you? Like, alim means intense personnel. So abid, Allah ta'ala is here mentioning that they didn't submit, they weren't subservient, but they're creatures in the sense that they are subservient to Allah. They are slaves. Every creature, every creation is an absolutely subservient slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And Allah ta'ala is not unjust to any one of His creatures. Alright. Alright, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning them like the ways of the people of Fir'aun. And those before Fir'aun, they disbelieved in the verses and the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees them with this punishment due to the sins that they used to commit. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful and is extremely intense and is calling to punishment. Here the sponsor is saying is indeed this is because Allah sponsor will not change any favor that He has bestowed upon or conferred upon any people unless they change what was within themselves and know that Allah sponsor is all hearing and all knowing. They are indeed like Firaun's people and those before him and who denied the signs before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We destroyed them for their sins and we drowned Firaun's people. They were all evil doers. Alright. We destroyed them because of their sins. And we drowned all the people of Firaun. And each and every one of them was an unjust and a wrong person. Indeed, the worst of all creatures in the eyes or estimation in the sight of Allah SWT are those who disbelieve. And those are the ones who disbelieve and will not believe. They will disbelieve such that they will never believe. And those who, Nabi Akrim Sassam, they make a ahad, they make a treaty and a covenant with you. And then they break that treaty and that covenant. That they break it and they break it 
whenever they, uh, whenever you make, whenever you make a treaty with them, they break it. وَهُمْ لَا يَتَّقُولُ They have no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what should happen if you meet them in battle? If you فَإِمَّا and whensoever. تَثْكَفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْحَرْبِ Whenever you should engage them and meet them in battle. فَشَرِّدْ بِهِمْ مَنْ خَلْفَهُمْ أَلْهُمْ يَذَكَّرُونَ So what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying? You should make an example from them. So that later people will take heed at what happens when you break your treaties. Right? So here now the mu'mineen, this is the situation that comes up, that the mu'mineen should never have to fear that they will be attacked by the kuffar with whom they made a treaty. But because now these kuffar were violating their treaties, now the aman and the peace and security that was attempted to be made by peaceful negotiation and pact and treaty, when the unbelievers started breaking those negotiations and treaties and pacts, then it led to yet another type of fitna. It led to another type of insecurity. Because those who you felt that had agreed not to war against you, when they start violating that treaty and engaging in aggression against you, then a whole new type of fitna occurred. So again, that's an incredible, great thing, fitna, even greater than qatl. So for in that case, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet that you should make an example of them. You should make an example of them. You should treat such unbelievers who break and violate the terms of treaty on you, who are guilty of betrayal with you, that you should treat, make an example of them so that others do not repeat that again. Alright. So this is what was being said, that if you fear from any community of betrayal, فَنْبِذْ إِلَيْهِمْ عَلَى السَّوَىٰ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْخَائِنِينَ This is another word you have here for لَا that If you ever feel betrayal or violation or breach of treaty from any community, then you should take back that treaty. You should withdraw the treaty. Don't attack them. You can't attack them because you think they're going to break the treaty. You can break the treaty, you can cancel the treaty if you feel that they themselves are violating the terms of that treaty. Once you cancel the treaty, then there is no notion of there's no cessation of hostilities and that you can fight their aggression whenever they are aggressive towards you. And those people who disbelieve they should not think. They should not think in any way that they have won or that they have advanced or that they have escaped. Indeed there is no escape for them. There is no victory for them. There is no succor for them. Alright? وَأَئِذُّ لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةٍ وَمِنْ رِبَاطِ الْخَيْلِ تُرْهِبُونَ بِهِ عَدُوَّ اللَّهِ وَعَدُوَّكُمْ وَآخِرِينَ مِنْ دُونِهِمْ Here Allah SWT is telling in the Quran, and this ayah is something that people still use today, that prepare whatever, O believers, you should prepare whatever forces you can muster, including war horses, to frighten off Allah Ta'ala's enemies and yours, and warn others unknown to you, but known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. This is the verse that is used to understand that what is the Islamic understanding of defense budget and military spending. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, because obviously, uh, war horses, that just means the weapons of that time. It doesn't mean today the Quran is telling the Muslims that they should go and get horses, and they should get arrows. Right? So Quran is giving a message, وَأَئِدُّ لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ So مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ means whatever you're reasonably able to do. 
So it doesn't mean at the expense and cost of education budget. It doesn't mean at the expense and cost of poverty alleviation that you spend all of your money on defense. It means that while taking care of all of the other things that Islam says you have to do, while fulfilling all of the other needs that Islam says a community should fulfill, then to whatever extent you are able, you should prepare your defense capability to defend yourself against who? Against those people who have sworn themselves or viewed, have taken themselves or have adopted to be the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be your enemies. So the notion here then again is one purely of defense, right? Purely of defense. وَآخَنِينَ مِن دُونِهِمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ لَا تَعْلَمُونَهُمْ And there are others who you don't even know. So what it means is that sometimes you may have enemies and you may not know who they are. So you should prepare your defenses sufficient so that you can counter and protect yourself against your known enemies. And a bit more than that because there may be enemies who are unknown to you and you need to have enough defense capability to defend yourself against them as well. وَمَا تُنْفِكُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فِي سَبِيلَ اللَّهِ يُوَفَّى إِلَيْكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تُظْلَمُونَ And whatsoever you spend in the way, whatsoever you spend in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this sense, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fulfill, completely fulfill and recompense that to you. وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تُظْلَمُونَ And no injustice whatsoever will be done unto you. وَإِنْ جَنَهُ لِسَّلْمِ But however, if they incline towards peace, if they incline towards peace, they decide, okay, maybe they see your preparations. And they decide that, okay, no, we've changed our mind. We don't want to pursue hostilities and aggression. So what does Allah Ta'ala say? Fajnah laha. Then you should also incline towards peace. tawakkal Allah, And you should have trust in Allah SWT. So tawakkal both in jihad and tawakkal also in peace. At all times a person should have tawakkal. Innahu huwa samir alim. Indeed, Allah SWT is all listening and all knowing. مَنْ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يَخْدَعُوكَ فَإِنَّ حَسْبَكَ اللَّهُ And if they intend to deceive you, it's a trick. They're pretending that they want peace, but they really don't want peace. So what is their intention? أَنْ يَخْدَعُوكَ They intend to trick you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. They intend to trick you. So don't worry. فَإِنَّ حَسْبَكَ اللَّهُ They know that indeed Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for you. هُوَ الَّذِي أَيَّدَكَ بِنَصْرِهِ وَبِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ And He is that being who, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who has strengthened you with His help and has strengthened you with the believers. So this is a clear also ayah, Surah Al-Anfal, Surah number 8, verse number 62. That Allah ta'ala is saying in Qur'an that Allah ta'ala helped the Prophet ﷺ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ with the believers, with all the believers. So that means number one, Sahabi Ikram were selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a means of help and aid and assistance and succor to Sayyidina Rasulullah So any theology that suggests that Sahaba were misguided or Sahaba are unbelievers, that theology is proven false by Qur'an. And secondly, because it says mu'mineen, we should also feel that we are mu'mineen and we should want to live a life in which our life helps the mission and message and legacy of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam and the mission and message and legacy of Qur'an al-Kareem. وَاللَّ فَبَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ And Allah SWT says, and then we brought their hearts together. Uh, we brought their hearts together. لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا And were you to spend in every single thing that the earth contains, مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ You would never have been able to bring their hearts together. In other words, Allah Ta'ala brings people's hearts together in ways that money can't. Like the saying is, money can't buy love. Right? So Allah Ta'ala is saying that, O oh, Prophet 
the way Allah Ta'ala has brought, what did it mean? The hearts of the Aus and the Khazraj, who previously had been enemies to one another, when they accepted Islam, they were completely with one another. And now these people of Makkah, Mokarama, and Medina, and Muhajirin, and Ansar, who were previously strangers to one another, Allah Ta'ala put love between them. So what it means that on the nisbat of deen, the real unity and brethren and cohesion that lies in this ummah is on the basis of their deen. And that's going to be something that Allah Ta'ala places between hearts. And that is something that not all the money in the world, that would be the idiomatic English translation, that Allah Ta'ala put such a love between their hearts that not all the money in the world could have gotten that, put that love. وَلَكِنَ Allah أَلَّفَ بَيْنَهُمْ And indeed, however, it was Allah Subhanahu who put that love between their hearts. إِنَّهُ azizun hakim. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu is almighty and all-wise. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ حَسْبُكَ that, oh, my beloved Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, know that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is sufficient for you. And whomsoever follows you from the believers, they are also sufficient to you. So it means that Allah Ta'ala is equating with Himself, not in terms of deity or divinity, but Allah Ta'ala is setting, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning two things. Two things that He's going to give the Prophet. One is Himself, Hasbukullah, and second is a jamaat of muttabi'een, mu'mineen, believers who follow Nabi Yikrim Sallallahu So this can also be understood that this is the status of ittiba'i Nabi, ittiba'i Rasul, ittiba'i Sunnah. But this is viewed by Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala to be something that is sufficient for Nabi Yikrim Sallallahu Then again, Ya ayyuhal Nabiyu, O Nabi Yikrim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Harrid al-Mu'mineena ala al-Kital. That you must urge now the believers to fight the unjust aggression. So if indeed there are amongst you 20 who are steadfast, they will overcome 200. So this was another view, right? That some jurists said that as long as the odds are at least up to 10 times greater than you, you cannot turn back. Allah Akbar. If they're ishruna sabiruna. So this is shan of sahaba, right? If you think that only seven sahaba are believers, so you can't, what is Ishroon then? <laughs> right? If you have that weird theology that thinks only seven sahaba are believers. Hmm? So if from amongst you 20, even 20 are steadfast, they will suffice to be triumphant and dominant over 200 of them. وَإِن يُكُمْ مِنْكُمْ مِعْتُنْ And if you have a hundred, يَغْلِبُوا alfan, Then you will be able to be triumphant over a thousand. So again, you're having a 10 to 1 ratio. 10 to 1 ratio. مِنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا A thousand from those who disbelieve. بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ And why is it? Why will you be able to have this 10 to 1 advantage? Because there are people who don't understand. There are people who don't understand, the people who lack the faqqo, are people who don't understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they're also fighting without any understanding. They're not fighting with any passion. You are fighting because you understand that fighting is not a good thing, that you would prefer peace, but you're only doing so to fight unjust aggression, and because you've understood from Qur'an that fitna is worse than qatl. Whereas they're fighting for no reason whatsoever. We're not on the basis of any real solid understanding, not on the basis of real knowledge. They may be fighting on the basis of some, some false nationalism or some false global interest. They're not fighting on the basis of real, real ilm. What constitutes real and weighty, uh, you could say maybe like, you can put it this way, like a worthy cause.
Sayyidina Abdul bin Abbas says actually that uh, so Sayyidina Abdul bin Abbas actually has mentioned that the difference between this ayah and so before you saw or was it a 2 to 1 ratio and now you're seeing a 10 to 1 ratio right so the difference between 10 to you're about to see it right now Sorry, the, the ayah I mentioned to you earlier, 66. We haven't done it yet. This is coming. Al-ana khaffafallahu ankum wa alima anna fikum dha'fa. Now Allah Ta'ala says, and now Allah Ta'ala has alleviated it from you, has lightened the burden from you. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala indeed knows that inside of you is some, uh, that, that there is a weakness inside of you. So now what is Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, what is the takhfif? What is the lower level of odds now that you are have to fight? That if indeed there are a hundred of you sabiratun who are steadfast, yaglibu mi'atani, they will be able to triumph over two hundred. So initially it was twenty for two hundred, and then it became a hundred for two hundred. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easier. What happened here was because that level of sabr that is required for a force of twenty to defeat a force of 200, that was something even maybe later Sahaba were not even able to retain. So Allah SWT then says, and Al-An, and now we lessen it for you, and we make it a 2 to 1 ratio, as opposed to a 10 to 1 ratio. So same numbers now, مَعِنْيَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أَلْفُنْ That if you're a thousand, يَغْلِبُوا أَلْفَيْنِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ You'll be able to triumph over 2,000 with the idhan of Allah SWT. وَاللَّهُ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ And indeed know that Allah SWT is with the people of sabr. وَمَا كَانَ النَّبِيَّ يَكُونَ لَهُ It does not befit the Prophet ﷺ that if he takes captives حَتَّى يُثْخِنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ Until he has captured the battlefield. تُرِيدُونَ أَرْضَ الدُّنْيَا And you people, تُرِيدُونَ You people desire the transient goods of this world. وَاللَّهُ يُرِيدُ الْآخِرَةِ However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes the akhirah for you. Wallahu aziz and hakeem. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and ends all wise. So what happened? This is when the 70 prisoners of the Battle of Badr were brought before Sayyidina Rasulullah And Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq said that actually all of them were from the Quraysh, which is the tribe of the Prophet And some of them were his distant relatives, with the relatives but not siblings, but some type of distant relatives. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq said that maybe we should let them live. And give them the chance that they can live another day, not live another day to fight against us, live another day that maybe they will be guided. Maybe they can be guided in the future. Sayyidina Umar, his view was that, oh, so some of these people, they denied you, and they exiled you from Makkah Makarma, they persecuted you, they hurt you, and now they came against us, and they killed, right? Fourteen were shaheed, so he said that we should kill them. This should be their punishment, that they should be killed. So Sayyidina Rasulullah became silent and then he adopted the suggestion of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Now the first verse, this verse over here, verse number 67. Some of us students suggest that this was actually sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reprimand Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu Not to reprimand, but to suggest that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wish was otherwise. Right? Allah ta'ala's wish was otherwise. And Allah ta'ala's letting them do that, 
But he's saying, Yuriduna out of the dunya that you're looking at the life of this world. Aturiduna out of the dunya, you're looking at the life of the world. Wallahu yuridu akhirah. But how Allah Ta'ala was looking at what is better for you in terms of akhirah. What did that mean? That the suggestion that some commentators make here is that Allah Ta'ala is suggesting that he would have preferred that the prisoners would be killed as punishment. Why? Now how would that help them in the akhirah? Said because in that case, that if they were killed, then the kuffar would have been totally shattered. They would have been totally shattered and they would have never mounted another offensive again. And perhaps, you know, Fatih Makkah and these things would have happened sooner rather than later. Now what does it mean that Allah Ta'ala would have preferred? So it means that Allah Ta'ala didn't force the Prophet on this. So again, this is the answer of Allahu Azizun Hakim. Wallahu Aziz, Allah Ta'ala is Almighty, that He could enforce His decision if He wills. But He is Hakim, He is all-wise, and out of His wisdom, He has chosen to let the Prophet some decision, based on the counsel of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, understand, and that decision was that not to kill the prisoners, but to ransom them out, so there will be some wisdom in that as well. This ayah has also been mentioned as the Muafiqati Umar, which we've been tracking with you as we go, because Sayyidina Umar, in his view, seems to be confirmed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here that his view was the same thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had wanted. Alright? Okay. Lawla kutabun. Alright, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then is second ayah which is related to this. That if it was not for the prescription... If it had not been decided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sabaka if the decision from Allah subhanahu had not preceded this then indeed a tremendous punishment would come upon you for what you have taken so what does this ordinance mean it means that Allah subhanahu does not punish a nation for not carrying out an action that has not been instructed in their sharia it means that there was no instruction given by Allah subhanahu as to what to do with these prisoners. There was no wahi sent by Allah subhanahu to Sayyidina Rasulullah about what to do with these prisoners. Therefore Sayyidina Rasulullah made mushawara, he asked different sahaba, and he decided on the base of the consultation, or sorry, the mushawara, the recommendations given to him, he did not decide on the basis of revelation. So it means he did not decide in his capacity as a prophet. He decided in his capacity as the leader of that community who had taken advices from that community. Right? However, so Allah SWT is simply saying, and this is again one of the strong ayahs of Quran, that if however it had been the case that Allah Ta'ala had revealed what to do with the prisoners, i.e. to kill them, and then instead you had decided to ransom them, then Allah Ta'ala is even saying this to the Prophet and Sahaba, أَخَزْتُمْ أَذَابٌ أَذِيمٌ that a tremendous punishment would have overcome you, Prophet and Sahaba, if if Allah Ta'ala's command had come to you and you had chosen to go against it. Alright? Okay. There's a lot of rulings and akam pertaining to uh, prisoners of war. I heard that, uh, I mean, we don't have time to go into that. You can look that up in the books of Fiqh. فَقَلُوا مِمَّا غَنِمْتُمْ حَلَالًا تَيِّبًا You should eat from all of those spoils of war that we have, uh, that you have obtained. حَلَالًا تَيِّبًا That which is lawful from it and that which is pure from it. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهُ And you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُرُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-forgiving and all-merciful. Alright. 
Ya that O Nabi Yakrim tell all of those who are in your custody min al asara min asra from these prisoners. In Ya'lamillahu fi kulubikum khayram that if Allah subhanahu wa knows if he sees any good in your hearts, then what will he do? Yu'tikum khayram mimma ukhiza minkum then he will give you something better than that which he has taken from you. And وَيَغْفِرْلُكُمْ And He will forgive you. وَاللَّهُ غُفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Know that Allah is all forgiving and all merciful. So this ayah now number 70 is viewed then as the hikmah. And what was the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this message that is going to be sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Nabi Akhrisan to the prisoners is going to soften some of their hearts that some of them at some point are going to accept the deen of Islam. Right? And this is fascinating. I mean look just think about this. This shows you the immense mercy of Allah subhanahu wa These are people who left their homes to kill the Prophet ﷺ. They traveled hundreds of miles to do that. They tried their level best to do that. They failed in doing so. And then Allah Ta'ala by that same Prophet is telling them that you should tell them, إِنْ يَعْلَمِ اللَّهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ خَيْرًا That if Allah Ta'ala sees even the slightest drop of good in your spiritual hearts, يُؤْتِكُمْ خَيْرًا مِمَّا أُخِزَ مِنْكُمْ That He will grant you something better than that which you have been taken from. And وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ Allah will forgive you. Look at the incredible mercy of Allah SWT. Willing to forgive those people who are still net not you who had tried to kill His beloved Messenger وَاللَّهُ غُفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed Allah SWT is all forgiving and all merciful. However, what, uh, however, However, if they intend to betray you, then as when they ransom off, they will go back and then mount another army and come right back again. That instead of living another day so that they may accept Iman, their intention is that we will live another day to come back and fight again and try to kill the Prophet again. فَكَنْ خَانُ اللَّهَ مِنْ قَبْلُ then you should know that indeed that they have betrayed Allah Ta'ala before as well. And when they betrayed Allah Ta'ala by not believing in Him, when they betrayed Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala before as well, فَأَمْكَنَ مِنْهُمْ And that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said that He's given you mastery over them. وَاللَّهُ أَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all-knowing, all-wise. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آوَوْا وَنَصَرُوا أُولَٰئِكَ بَعْضَهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضِ Indeed those who have iman and who migrate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who fight unjust aggression for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or generally struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with their wealth, property and possessions as well as with their own bodies فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ In the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who gave refuge and those who helped Indeed, these are all patrons and benefacting and beloved friends and lovers and allies of one another. However, as for those, وَالَّذِينَ amanu, As for those who believe, وَلَمْ yuhajiru, And they didn't make the hijrah. مَا لَكُمْ They will not have, you are not responsible, you are all are not responsible for their protection. For their walayat. For their protection, min shayin. You're not responsible at all in any way for their protection. Hatta yuhajiru until they migrate. So what does it mean that those Muslims who remain back in Makkah Makarama, the Biyakrim Sasam and the Sahabakram Madhya Manawra are not responsible for their protection in any way.
manistansarukum fiddini. However, if they seek your help in matters pertaining to their deen, فَعَلَيْكُمْ النَّصْرُ إِلَّا عَلَى قَوْمِ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ مِثَاقِ That if they seek your help, then it is your duty to assist them, except against a people with which you have a treaty. So if you've made a treaty of peace with someone, that you're not going to fight them. So that treaty only lasts, it's not, but, but in, let me explain this. The treaty that Nabi Akhtar made with the non-Muslims was only valid between the non-Muslims and the Muslims of Medina Munawra. So if those same non-Muslims attack those few Muslims who stayed back in Makkah Makarramah, then the Prophet was bound under treaty not to help the Muslims of Makkah Makarramah against those non-Muslims who have signed a treaty with the Muslims of Medina Manawra. That's what's being explained over here. Alright. Alright. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wallahu bima ta'amaluna basir And indeed Allah subhanahu sees every single thing that you do Waladhina kafaru ba'dahum awliya'u ba'd And the same words being used The disbelievers They support one another They're awliya for one another Illa taf'aluhu And if you don't learn to support one another Takun fitnatun fil ardi Wafasadun kabir Then there will be a fitna and a fasad A tremendous discord and sedition and corruption on earth So it means that the Muslims must support one another they must be brethren to one another. Otherwise, fitna and fasad will spread on earth. Alladhina amanu wahajirun, those who believe in those who migrated wajahudu fi sabilullah and who strive to fight aggression in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Walladhina awu wa nasaru, and it's the same words in those who helped, and those who granted refuge, and those who helped. Ulaikahumal mu'minuna haqqa, indeed those are the ones who are the true believers. Lahum maghfiratum wa rizqun kareem, that they will have generous, generous forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they will have generous, generous provision and sustenance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Walladhina amanu mim ba'du, and those who took iman later on, wahajiru wa jahadu ma'akum, and they also migrated, and then they also fought aggression alongside with those original migrants. Right? For Ulaika Minkum, then they are considered to be just like them. And then know that indeed the certain relatives have a prior claim over one another in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all knowing over each and every single thing. Here, this last part that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned, this final verse expresses a few points. Number one. That those who accepted Islam later, so they were not blessed with being their brother, right? They weren't there at the forefront. But they will be equal in terms if, but as long as they also have iman and hijrat and fight aggression for the path of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, they will be fulaikum minkum, they will be from you, they will be like you, they will receive the same bounty from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last thing that Allah subhanahu ta'ala has mentioned is this issue of inheritance, right? This has to do with another complicated issue that migration, originally hijrat, was made a precondition of inheritance. So that person who didn't make hijrat to Medina Manawra was not entitled to a share in inheritance. This verse is then making clear that Allah Ta'ala has removed that. That was an initial thing to make very stern, or for Allah Ta'ala to make very stern and strict the state of those who didn't migrate. And then Allah Ta'ala is lifting that here and saying that, that each and every one will have their share and all relatives will still have their prior earlier claim or share over one another as expressed by the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each and every single thing. Alright. Next, Surah Tawbah. Surah Tawbah, I'm just going to mention a few things about it and then we'll let you end early today because we didn't give you a break. You can see I'm trying to pick up some speed. Trying to pick up some speed. You may enjoy it a little bit less, but a lot of this, I'm only, generally only pick up speed on those things that uh, really are more concerned with translation and have less to do with, uh, there's not so much commentary to be offered on them. And the detailed rulings of how spoils of war are distributed and the detailed rulings of how to treat prisoners of war are beyond your need, right? These aren't the details that you need. And we had told you the very first day of this course that we're going to focus on only on trying to give you the details of those things that will help you and bring you spiritually closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the different ahkam and laws and legal regulations. We leave that to those people who want to research them and read them in the books, but that isn't going to be the main focus point of our discussion. All right. Surah Tawbah. First thing about the surah, maybe I should, I should just explain that today, is that this is that surah, surah number 9, which Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is not written at the beginning. Every other surah of the 114 surahs begins with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Here, uh, this surah does not begin with that. Another name of the surah is surah Bara'a. Bara'a again means to be buried, to be exonerated. And it contains exoneration of Sayyidina Rasulullah and exoneration of Allah SWT from the kuffar. But you'll see that when we mention that. And also mentions the Tawbah of those Sahaba. It's named Surah Tawbah because they were a group of Sahaba who stayed back from the Battle of Tabuk. That's incident will come when we come to it. But then later they made Tawbah to Allah SWT and Allah Taala accepted their Tawbah. Alright. Question then, why is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim not written here? Okay, so Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas, a long hadith in Tirmidhi, that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas asked this very question to Sayyidina Uthman when Sayyidina Uthman was compiling what we call the Musafi Usmani. And he told him that you have, you, uh, why is it uh, that you have not, you have joined the two Surah Tawbah and Surah Anfal, and you've not written Bismillah between them. So Sayyidina Uthman responded, there was the practice of Sayyidina Rasulullah that whenever any verses were revealed, he would instruct the Katibina Wahi where to insert them in the Qur'an al And then he said that Surah Anfal was referred, er, revealed early in Medina Manawra, whereas Surah Tawbah was revealed towards the end of the time of Medina Manawra. And Sayyidina Rasulullah when he before he passed away, he did not tell me, this is what Sayyidina Usman is saying, that Sayyidina Usman did not tell any of the Kathibin Wahi, whether all of the, he told us to place all these verses here, but he didn't tell us whether these verses should be linked to the previous surah or not. So because he didn't tell us that I've joined the two, Sayyidina Usman said, I've joined the two because their subject matter was the same, and I didn't write Bismillah between them, because I cannot say with determination whether they are two separate surahs or whether they are one. So the way Sayyidina Usman then resolved this issue is that he made them separate, gave the name, but he didn't write Bismillah. So giving preference to the idea that they're separate surahs, he gave this name Surah Tatoma. But giving consideration to the fact that the Prophet never explicitly told him right, to write Bismillah on him here. So for that incident, then for that reason, he didn't write Bismillah on him. Right? 
Okay. However, as far as recitation goes, according to the Mufassir, when a person recites Quran, you begin recitation of Quran with Audhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Anyway, so let's say a person has been reciting before, let's say you're doing Talawat of Quran, and you're, you're reciting Surah Anfal, and you hit Surah Tawbah, fine, if you're continually reciting, you won't say Bismillah when you start the Surah. But let's say you open up Quran one day, and let's say maybe we'll do that tomorrow, and we decide to start Surah Tawbah, we will say Bismillah before we start, but because not, we're not saying that we're doing Talawat of Bismillah as part of Quran, but we're reciting it before our Quranic recitation. Alright. Surah Tawbah and Surah Bara'ah. Alright. First, I mentioned to you that the pardon, the Tawbah for those Muslims who had not gone for the Battle of Tabuk. And the second is the disavowal and exoneration of Allah SWT and the Prophet Bara'ah that is made in the first part of the Surah. Alright. This surah was revealed, like we mentioned, towards the end of Medina Menorah, between the 8th year and between the 10th year of Hijrah. In other words, between the 10th, 8th and 10th years after the Prophet migrated to Medina Menorah. This had, what had happened over here, that the Kufar of Makkumakarma had violated Sulah Hudaybiyah, the peace treaty that was signed at Hudaybiyah. After which, since Sayyidina Rasulullah went on to do Fatih Makkah, and he also the Prophet ﷺ were victorious in the battle of Hunayn. So what happens here that after Fatih Makkah and the victory at Hunayn, now Islam didn't become just a Madani religion, it became an Arabian and Peninsular religion. Especially after Fatih Makkah because Makkah was a major center of the Arabian and Peninsula. But even then, there were still some tribes who were reluctant to accept, still reluctant to accept the deen of Islam, and they were reluctant to join. But the vast majority of the tribes... There were many tribes who had wanted to be Muslim, but they were waiting to see how things panned out. And they thought maybe the Quraysh would win. When the Muslims finally were successful in Fatih Makkah, then these tribes and all accepted the deen of Islam and they joined the deen of Islam. Right? So there's going to be some mention here of that. There's going to be some mention of uh, Masjid al-Haram. There's going to be mention uh, of the strategy and the evil designs that some of the non-Muslims, their last and final, you can say, strategies and evil designs. And so the Ghazwa of Tabuk, when we do that, this was also an issue uh, that the ruler of Byzantine, the Byzantine, Byzantine emperor, had amassed a large army that they wanted to send to Medina Manorah. And some of the unbelievers were hoping that this, if they couldn't, eliminate Islam themselves, that the Byzantine Emperor of the Roman Empire would be able to do so for them. So here, that is something that we will also be discussing when we do the surah tomorrow, inshallah. Alright. We ask that you give us the strength and we ask that you give us all the attributes and characteristics of the true believers that you mentioned in the start of Surah Al-Anfal. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we too want to be people that when your name is mentioned, when your zikr is done, when we hear your zikr that our hearts tremble and quiver in love for you, in excitement for you. Ya Allah, we have become people who ru and arwah has gone cold and is dead. You were mentioned in front of us, we feel nothing in our heart. Your name is taken in front of us, we feel nothing in our heart. 
Lord. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask in the barakah of this fasting of the month of Ramadan that you make us mu'mineen a haqqa. Ya Lord, we don't want to be untrue believers. We don't want to be half-baked believers. We don't want to be disloyal believers. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to be the true, sincere mu'mineen. We want to be mu'mineen a haqqa in reality, in word, in deed, in heart and in tongue. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, let the talawat of these ayat, let the recitation and of the verses of revelation be a means of strengthening our iman. Let us have that ziyadat iman that you have mentioned as the hallmark sign of the mu'mineen. And Ya Allah, we ask that you increase us in our tawakkal on you. Make us amongst the mutawakkileen. We have tried and depended and trusted on so many false things in this world. Ya Allah, we make toba for that. And now we come to you in this month of Ramadan that we want only and only to trust and depend upon you, to rely exclusively, ultimately, penultimately upon you. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us amongst the mutawakkileen. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us fall under the ayah, Inna Allah yuhibbul mutawakkileen. We ask that you make us fall under the ayah, Man yatawakkal alallahi fahuwa hasbuhu. And Ya Allah, we ask that you make us steadfast in our salah. Let this month of Ramadan be a month in which we never miss any salah, never make any qada. Let us become so habituated on our salah. Let us become so regular on our salah. Let us become so firm on our salah that salah is established by the end of this month as a permanent feature in our life. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us never ever make any qada again after this day. Let us never ever miss a single one of your faraid and wajibat. Let there never be an a caller to Adhan except that we hearken to their call. Let there never be a person who says Haila Salah except that we hasten to that Salah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us people who are regular on our Salah. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us spend in charity that which you have bestowed upon us, that which you have given us. Let us share with those who are needy, share with those who are deserving. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us support all of the works of Deen. Ya Allah, let us leave behind us a Sadaqah Jariyah. Let us leave behind us a charity that will benefit us for years and generations to come. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah we ask you to give us the strength of the Sahaba of Badr, the Sukoon of the Sahaba of Badr, the Aman of the Sahaba of Badr, the Istikamat of the Sahaba of Badr, the Sabr of the Istikamat of Badr, the, the, the Sabr of the Sahaba of Badr, the Iman of the Sahaba of Badr, Ya Rabbi Kareem, in whatever way, in whatever part of this world, in whatever sense that we too must rise and to defend the weak from the from the unjust. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us do so according to the teachings of Quran. Let us do so according to the teachings of Nabi alayhi salam. Rabbana taqabah minna innaka anta samiul alim. Wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabu rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmataka ya arhamar rahimin. Amen.